York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you till 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning, this Easter Sunday morning, or late Saturday night if you're out and about in a city that never sleeps or working on a weekend like usual. We are two. Emmanuel is with me tonight. Be nice to him on the phones tonight. We're coming to you live from the Mike Francesca studio here in Lower Manhattan. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. Let's load them up with your best content only, please. You know that by now. We've got a special three-hour, 3 a.m. edition coming your way tonight. And, you know, with the Knicks taking on the Nets tomorrow in Brooklyn, Monday in Brooklyn, for the first or the last time in the regular season, I've got my first NBA edition of beatboxing for you guys tonight. Rep of the Knicks, Chris Eisman, who covers the team for NorthJersey.com, which is the paper that I grew up reading, and I looked every after every game to see my name in, in the box score. And uh, and for the Nets, and not just the box score, the articles too, right? And for the Nets, Alex Schiffer, who writes for The Athletic NYC and The Athletic NBA. That's all coming up next hour. I hope you do stay put for that. Oh, how you missed this song, right, Yankees fans? Start spreading the news. The Yankees defeated the Blue Jays on Saturday afternoon, notching their first win of a World Series or bust season. Thank you, Frank Sinatra. Prior to first pitch, you know, I I was thinking, you know, what can the Yankees or what should I be looking for in this Yankee game today? Listen, I know it's game two, right? But I created a list of three things that I was looking for from the Yankees in, in the Saturday afternoon game. And in this order, it was one, Kluber. It was two, hitting with runners in scoring position. And it was three, Glaber Torres' instincts. So let's take number one, Corey Kluber, who entered today having pitched 18 pitches in 2020 total, which we've talked about at length here on this show. Based on all of my research, I told you every week on here that I, I was not going to be worried about Kluber and that the Yankees for sure because if Eric Cressy had the inside track scouting report on him. It's kind of true, right? After you saw him pitch today, today he pitched exactly as I knew he would. I think Kluber should have traded his Yankee cap for a magician's hat Saturday afternoon. No, he didn't pull any Easter bunnies out of it, but he did single-handedly pull the Yankees out of three dangerous jams. And Yankee fans could be quite pleased with his first outing in pinstripes. The first inning, he pitched out of a jam. Stranding a runner on third after a big strikeout of Hernandez. Third inning. First and third. One out was the situation. A a run scored on what could have and should have been a strike him out, throw him out, double play. More on why that didn't happen in a second. But Kluber bounced right back and struck out arguably the Blue Jays' best hitter in Bo Bichette. Looking. Rang him up with a backwards K. Then in the fourth inning. Kluber worked out of a bases-loaded jam, got an inning-ending ground out to Glaber Torres. And in the fifth inning, he surrendered a solo home run on his 74th pitch. His limit, as explained in the pregame broadcast, was going to be about 80 anyway. Boone said, the movement on his pitches, the ability to move in and out, I thought it was really good. And even better, here's what's interesting, what Kluber said about Gary Sanchez. Now, the second pitcher that I know of to publicly endorse him, the other being Darren O'Day, Kluber said, I thought Gary called a good game. We were on the same page for for the most part. I don't know if I shook him at all. Guess what? 
That was their first time working together. Unbelievable, right? And then Sanchez, through a translator, said, Today I feel like we were on the same page. He's a vet, and he has a lot of experience pitching in this league. It felt comfortable catching him. And Kluber must have had the same confidence in him because Sanchez, because when asked about not being shook off, Sanchez said, I don't know, I think it's confidence in the catcher. This is Sanchez. Before the game, we create a plan. Me, the pitching coach, and Corey. Once we get into the game, it's just executing that plan. And the movement on all of his pitches was amazing. He was commanding the zone. So Kluber, give it up for him. I knew, but I knew. I knew this was going to happen like this. And then the second thing I was looking for in Saturday's game was hitting with runners in scoring position. I'm going to give it a like a meager improvement there because coming into game two, the Yankees needed to improve upon a facet of that game that hindered them in the postseason last season, hitting with runners in scoring position. Opening day, they didn't do that. For Garrett Cole, they were 0 for 9 with RISP. Ten runners left on base, by the way. And, and when you look at the top four of their order, more on that, I'm sure, tonight, the top four was 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. Saturday afternoon, they were a little bit better. They were 4 for 10 with RISP. But stranding even more runners, 12. Hmm. In total, they had 11 hits, 6 walks. The bottom of the fourth, did you guys catch this? When, when Glaber Torres at the plate and the bases were loaded, Blue Jays catcher Danny Jansen went out to visit the mound. Yankee Stadium DJ played the Beatles. Help, I need somebody. That was not lost on me, but perhaps the DJ was playing it for Glaber Torres, who struck out in a huge spot. Torres stranded three base runners in a 3-1 to one game at that point. And then again in the bottom of the sixth, though, with the bases loaded, Jay Bruce, oh, the two-strike approach, choked up a little bit, shortened his swing with two strikes, Love that. Two outs. Blooped a single to shallow left center in the no-man's-land triangle for two runs. So, yes, an improvement, but the inconsistency isn't a good look. It must be improved, improved upon. And listen, I know we're only in game two, but it's alarming because it's a trend that carried over from last season into now this season. And the third thing I was looking for was Glaber Torres's defense. And not so much the defense, but... More so his instincts from one shortstop to another. It just looks as Torres is playing out of position. Sure, he's trying his best to learn, just like he studied his butt off to learn English so he didn't have to speak through a translator. So he's definitely a hard worker. But the instinct and the innate ability is missing, in my opinion. Shortstop is a hard position to just learn. Cashman knows this. He said that Torres is a better second baseman than shortstop anyway. But the... Major question for the Yankees is going to be how much they'll be able to not tolerate but withstand Torres at shortstop. Defensively. Coming off a season where he was tied for second in errors committed by all shortstops in the entire season. On opening day, he took a bad angle to a ball. He let it play him. And then he double pumped before throwing a one hopper to first base. And that all emanates from a bad angle. Again, the instincts. Then you fast forward to Saturday's game. I told you I'd come back to this. It was the third inning. Kluber had an opportunity for an inning-ending, strike him out, throw him out, double play. He got the strikeout. Sanchez short-hopped the throw down to second base, which isn't the worst thing. It's, it's actually okay. But Gleyber Torres was more worried about the runner and not getting in front of him blocking the ball. Again, instincts. Block the ball first, 
worry about the runner second. The ball then squirted into center field, and the runner scored from third base easily. And Sanchez was given the error, which in my opinion, that wasn't right. Boone, after opening day, he essentially said that he wasn't worried about the Yankees' team offense. Team offense. But when he had Torres' struggles to judge his complete misplay of the ball in right field, fans are wondering, is this a microcosm of things to come for the Yankees? Jay Bruce said Sunday, I'm here because I want to win a World Series. And in my opinion, we have a team to do that. The series finale, the rubber match between the Jays and Yanks will be later today, 1.05 p.m. Domingo Herman gets the start for the home team, the number three starter. I also told you that was going to happen too, didn't I? He did it again. He played with your heart and he got lost in the game. A terrible president has already been set by Rob Manfred's MLB on literally day one of the 2021 season. Despite the requirement for teams to establish taxi squad players or, as they're also called, alternate site players, there's already been one series of baseball postponed due to COVID. And it just so happened to affect the New York Mets. It didn't take long at all. We aren't doctors. We're not pretending to be doctors. But, and this pandemic is obviously no joke. And right now, two of the closest people to me are affected by it, including my best friend who is COVID positive. Listen, so yeah, and she, she's having a hard time with it. So yeah, I'm sensitive that this is still a novel virus. But at the same time, we've been living in this world. We've been accustomed to this new normal, this pandemic living for well over one year now. My initial thought was that one of the four national players to test positive had to have been a marquee player. And actually, my thought immediately went to their opening day starter, Max Scherzer. Now, there are also five other players and one staff member in quarantine. And forget or not, forget about this. Whether or not the players engaged in risky behaviors or not, or if they picked it up at complete random or not, or whatever the scenario is, right? That's completely besides the point. And if this is what you're fixated on, you're about to completely miss the point. My point is, there are no excuses now. The game should have been, the series should have been a forfeiture on the part of the Washington Nationals for the simple fact that there have been taxi squad players established for a reason. Why didn't the Nationals use them? And why didn't Major League Baseball force the team to use those players? What is the point of having them? Under which condition does the league establish that teams must be forced to pluck players from their alternate site? Do those conditions even exist? No one seems to know that answer. I like the way the NBA does it, allowing teams to play with a minimum of eight players. Adam Silver's message inherently is, too bad, the show must go on, tighten your ship. Rob Manfred's message, oh, it's all right. Screw the opposing innocent team. And this has screwed the Mets. The Nationals' positive cases have both immediate consequences and long-term runs for the New York Mets. Immediately, it's a gigantic case of hurry up and wait. Now is not the time to be resting players. In fact, the opposite. This time off between coming home from spring training and the beginning of the season is integral to a team, and especially to its starting pitchers, who are looking to utilize this crucial time maybe to stretch out, to build upon the endurance that their arms created in spring training, and not to mention the momentum buildup to opening day, one of the most exciting days across the league. Marcus Stroman on Twitter said, excitement, 
right down the drain. And when you look at this long term, the games are going to have to be made up eventually, especially because they're league games. Why make the Mets crunch to fit this NLE series in, thus fatiguing them at whatever point of the season they determine that it's going to be? The Mets are ready to make a run. Doubleheaders to make up for this in 2021 is not the answer. Last year, fine. There were only 60 games in the season. There was time to do it. Opportunity to make up the game. No one really knew exactly how to handle it. But this year, no way. It's unrealistic, and quite frankly, it's unfair. There is no need to punish the Mets in what figures to be a 162-game season plus a postseason. Newsflash, the Mets are not the 2021 Pittsburgh Pirates who have the worst odds to win the World Series. In fact, the Mets, depending where you look, have the fifth or sixth-ish best odds. The New York Mets, because of the Washington Nationals, have not played a game yet. The Mets, because of Rob Manfred, how he accommodated the Washington Nationals, are forced to open their season against the Phillies in Philadelphia on Monday after being camped out in Washington, D.C. since Wednesday. There is one person that's kind of happy about this. Mets starter Taewon Walker counted the days on his calendar, and on Twitter he said, my Mets debut will be the home opener. Let's go! The best part is I get to do it in front of the Mets fans. Doesn't get much better than that. Hashtag LFGM. That's from Taewon Walker, so he's happy about it. And just so you know, my stance would have been the same had this have happened to the Mets, to the Yankees, and even, yeah, the, the cheating Astros. And in other Mets team news, I told you so. Last week, here on the radio and on Twitter, I told you that I was confident that Francisco Lindor would sign a contract before his self-imposed deadline of opening day, which I told you I thought was a pressure tactic anyway. Then there was the Steve Cohen crowdsources contract tweet, which in my opinion was also a pressure tactic. And of course, Steve Cohen didn't want to be labeled as Steve Wilpon, an ode to the prior regime who, well... You know the story. And then there was Francisco Lindor, who I told you I'm sure did not want to play this season, but last on his deal with his eyes set on a massive payday and risk injury and a subsequent discount in dollars or in years. Also, I'm sure he didn't want to hit the open market with a bunch of big-name shortstops, including Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Javier Baez, and Trevor Story. The deal, because of all this, I told you, was inevitable. And just a few minutes into the day on what was supposed to be opening day for the Mets, they agreed to a deal. Lindor was looking for 12 years, $385 million. Steve Cohen's best offer was 10 years, $325 million. They met in the middle, really, at 10 years, $341 million. Uh, annual value, you know, just about $34 million. But it also includes a no, limited no-trade clause with 15 teams on it, just so you know. Bottom line, if you're a Mets fan, I'm sure you're so happy that the deal got done. But I'm like lukewarm on it, to be honest with you. I want to like it. Believe me. But he's a 27-year-old shortstop. Add 10 years onto that. I'm no mathematician. But a 37-year-old middle infielder? I quickly, you know, on Saturday looked up the list of the 10, top 10 oldest players in the current Major League Baseball right now. Most were pitchers. There was one catcher, Molina. One DH, one first baseman, but not one middle infielder or outfielder topped the list of oldest players. You can just go back to the eye test to know that Derek Jeter, who retired at 40 years of age, wasn't as rangy in his later years as he was in his prime. That's just how it goes. Lindor will ultimately have to switch positions or become a DH, 
That's going to be seven or eight years down the line. Let's just wait and see. So Mets fans rejoice for now. But the Mets, as much as they don't want to come out and just say it, with this signing, it confirmed that they're in win-now mode. And why wouldn't they be? They've got a 32-year-old Jacob deGrom and a great young core of players. So why not add a switch-hitting shortstop in his prime to the roster long-term? He's certainly the full package of offensive and defensive skills, and he fits like a glove in the clubhouse. Lots to do tonight. Lots to get to. I have set the table for you. It's time to eat your 3 a.m. snacks. Can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on the fan in New York City. Name ever. First name greatest. That's me. No, I'm just kidding. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight, everybody. Here on the fan at 324 in the morning on this Easter Sunday morning. Happy Easter. Buona Pasqua to my Italians out there. Hey, you know... One of the most iconic and recognizable smiles in all of New York has been altered. Did you see it? Not only has Aaron Judge gotten his teeth fixed in 2021, eliminating his iconic gap, but Michael Strahan has too. Tuesday, Strahan posted a video to social media showcasing his new, I mean, I'm not a dentist, but look like veneers to me. The front tooth gap that we saw hosting the Super Bowl 42 Lombardi Trophy is no more. I posted a poll asking you guys which was the more iconic New York sports teeth gap. The results were as expected. 89% of you guys voted Strahan. 11% of you guys voted for Judge. But guess what? In a twist that I didn't even see coming, Strahan posted a video to tell everyone that it was an April Fool's joke. His gap, he said, my mama loves my gap. I'm keeping it. Something like that. I'm no fool. I'm no April fool. But that definitely got me. Well played, number 92. Well played. All right, let's go to the phones in the order that you guys have called. Uh, Mike and Blavelt, you are first tonight. You're leading oh, us hi, off, hi, Mike. Danielle. What's um, up? Nice to talk to you. I, I don't mind staying up late with you. You're a beautiful person inside and out. Oh, Mike. Thanks. Happy Easter. And I'd like to make a comment about the Astros first, my sure. team. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, you know, about, you hear about Cabrero, um, um, Miguel Cabrero making a few comments about, uh, saying that the cheating wasn't that bad. Maybe a conflict of interest that his manager was A.J. Hinch now. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah, of course. I mean, I, that's exactly what it is. He's not going to come out and say all that and that his manager's A.J. Hinch. I mean, it's just, he should just keep his mouth shut because obviously it was even egregious. Everybody agrees on that. Yes. Also, I'd like to make a point about Matt Harvey. Yeah. I, I, I was hoping he'd pitch against the Yankees, but I don't think he's going to be uh, – I think he might miss that start. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm rooting for him to do good. Are you? Yeah. You know, I like, the, I like reclamation. You know, I think he's changed. I really do. I think his personality and um, – you know what I'm saying? Well, he's certainly older now, older, wiser. I get yes. it. Yeah. And one more thing I like to mention. Um, yeah. I, I like Rutgers. I mean, I, they won their first um, game, right? I believe um, in uh, in the tournament, and they lost. Yeah. But in, uh, about in decades. Um, <laughs> about Rampo College. Yeah. Tom Baris, the he got the job as an intern with the Nets. Really? Out of Rampo College? That's my school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Rampo College, and that was in. Remember, he he served. As an assistant coach, and then they went to Kiki Van the way. Do you remember that now? Mm, I'm trying to look him up. Faculty. But he's with the yeah, Nets see, now. I know you went to Ramapo yeah, College. Yeah, I did. Wow. Okay, have a great night and a great Easter. Oh, awesome. Thanks. You too, Mike. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm just, I got I, I'm, I'm a person that, like, 
recognizes like faces first before I recognize names. So I'm sure if I, if I saw him. Very cool. Cool. My little school, Rampo College of New Jersey. Represent. All right. Next up, Paul in the two spot tonight. Paul, you're up. Hello. How are you? I'm living the dream. <laughs> uh, I, I have three points to make about my three favorite teams. Okay. I mean, Yankees, uh, Giants, and Rangers fan. Okay. So Give me Yankees first. Tell me. Yeah, Yankees first with the ratings, of course. Um, first of all, uh, opening day, brutal loss, brutal loss. Wasn't able to catch a game today. But, I mean, I feel like this team is still home run or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you because when you looked at – you didn't see it today. I was screaming at my TV, Paul. Um, Jay Bruce gets up to bat. They have the, this enormous shift on him that they have four outfielders. That's what you play in, like, women's league softball, four outfielders. And nobody, Paul, on the left side of the infield, not one single body, he struck out. Why can't you just lay yeah. down a bunt? I mean, really. Kills me. I mean, it, it kills just, me. It, it sucks with the Yankees especially, like, you know, the other thing I want to touch upon with the Yankees was um, I was listening to, like, a competitor's podcast the other day, mm-hmm. and they were saying that the Yankees are not, they're, they're the little brother in New York now. And I kind of laughed in my, in, in, to myself. They're not the other – the Mets, they're not better than the Yankees. You're oh, not going well. to take that. They're not. I mean, it's just you know how the next little brother yet. Nah, no, we probably will be ten years with Stevie Cohen. But I think that's I think that's where the comment emanates from. I'm not trying to back anybody here, but I think that's where the comment emanates from. Where the Yankees are so concerned with staying underneath this luxury cap threshold, where the Mets are like, let's just blow by it, and they can. So you know how the Knicks and the Nets play two very different styles of basketball. The Yankees and the Mets (laughs) play two very different styles of baseball as well. Which, as a Yankee fan like myself, I root for the Mets to be good because I was a New York guy. I love New York to prosper. I'm a New York guy through and through. Mm-hmm. I'm from Jersey, but I, I'm a New York guy. But, um, all right, let's carry on. Uh, <laughs> okay, Giants. Point, <laughs> my second point is on the Giants, the New York Giants. Yeah. D-Men. I mean, this year, I love Joe Judge. I love everything he's done for the team. Yep. But I think this is Daniel Jones. Prove it year or he's done. Definitely. Right? Yeah, I'm right with that. Especially because they're now starting to really surround him with like the talent that he like needs. You know, they went out and got Galladay for him. I think the Giants, yep. I think the Giants, if, if Pitts is there, the Giants are taking him. And if not, they're taking a wide receiver. So yeah, I'm with you. And Saquon Barkley's back full time, ready to go. This is the year. Yeah, I'm with you. That's 100% what I'm saying. Um, I mean, Galladay. Massive contract, so worth it though. Mm-hmm. The thing was that, that, that I feel like that's kind of what drove Eli out of town was it was the terrible offensive line. Awful. Didn't do for him. Just like Eli was not a bad quarterback. I mean, he finished with like a what was his record? One seventeen and one eighteen record. Just a brutal record. So, <laughs> well, I mean, they did make the run there. All right, tell me, tell me your Rangers point real quick. Rangers point. I'm sorry for keeping you on so long. Rangers point. Adam Fox. That's a Norris Trophy winner right there. I'm 22. He's 22. 
Keith winning a Norris Trophy. I'm sitting at home doing nothing. <laughs> Rangers, if they win the next, uh, I think that's like 30-something games remaining, they win the next 20 of them, they're going to the playoffs, and this team has relentless like potential. Unreal team. Paul, love the enthusiasm for the Rangers there. Young team, I get it. We'll see what happens. Let's go next to, let's see. Yeah, Kevin in Camden. You're in the three-hole tonight, Kevin. What's up? What's up, Coach? I'm third. I, I tell you, I called 258, but hey, I'm all right with that. <laughs> yeah, you got you got in third. This is this, That's the truth, I promise. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. I want to talk about the Yankees. Yeah. Because this offense needs to wake up. I mean, yeah, they, they scored some runs. But, I mean, they, it's like he just, like like uh, Paul just said, it's home run to strike out. Mm-hmm. And I'm, oh. And John Carlo, I've seen enough. Okay, already. The guy, look, it's two games, but he, he, he's a strikeout or home run guy. I mean, it, he doesn't do any. He doesn't do doubles. He doesn't. I'm, I'm not impressed with him. I'm not <laughs> like he, he was over five the first game. Yeah, strikeouts. Huh? I, I'm, I'm done seeing him. I'm done seeing him. And Sanchez, Kevin, right, Kevin, look, what are you gonna do with him? You gonna bench him? No, well, I would, but there's no, you got to play him somehow with that big contract. Yeah, that's like, the thing. That's what's high. You know, we talk about, uh, we were just talking about how, you know, Steve Cohen's coming in. The Yankees are so worried about the luxury cap threshold. That is the number one reason why. And, and let me go back to this, Kevin, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the record. When the Yankees I, got him, I was like, they already have this kind of a player in Aaron Judge. What are they doing? I remember that. I remember that. I'm telling you. And I got to say about the Mets, like you just said, how could you not, like, could not, I have to sit through Monday when they play Philadelphia. I can't even watch SNY. I got to watch the Phillies broadcast. Oh, man. I, because I live here. I don't live in New York anymore. I used to, you know, but I live here. So I have to watch the Phillies broadcast. Brutal. How is and that? To, all right. Which, well, <laughs> they're, they're biased. I'm going to, I'm going to be respectful. They're biased. Mm-hmm. Can't stand it. It's Homer. <laughs> A hundred. I can't stand it. All right, that fans from not. I just, I have an intense dislike for the Phillies. I'm not going to give him the reasons why. But I think Zach Wheeler is another reason. Well, I love Zach. Great but point there, should, Kevin. Go ahead, should, go off. He should still be a Philly, and I want to call no, him I'm out. I'm at. I'm at. I mean, I'm a Met. Sorry. Yeah, he should still be a Met. But the Austin, my buddy, the only reason he's a Philly right now is because Brody Van Wagenen was too dang cheap, and the Wolfpons would not pay. The man. Yeah. He did not want to be a Philly. He wanted to come back to the Mets. He did not want to come to the Phillies. Yet the man should still be a New York Met. Yeah. The Mets could use him right now with Carrasco being out. Kevin, you I'm are nailed it. I'm just saying. Yeah. Kevin, you nailed it. And, and you know, I, I know you listened to the show. So when this happened, you know, Zach Wheeler said that he was waiting. He was watching his phone, waiting for it to ring with a 212 area code. And it just didn't. Absolutely. And real quick about Sanchez. Mm-hmm. He, he's impressed me so far with the hitting. But you got to improve your entire game. Like, you prove for the entire season, then we'll talk. Yeah. Right now, I'm still not impressed with him. So, All right, Coach. Yeah. Well, that's all I got today. <laughs> well, Kevin, good job. Uh, this you. is one of your better uh, ones, Kevin, you. I have to say. Thanks, Coach. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Love the passion from that. And you know what? Zach Wheeler, that's a great point to bring him up. We talked about... Former Matt, Matt Harvey, you know, send up the bat signal for, for Matt Harvey Day, you know. But um, Zach Wheeler, that's the one that got away, man, for the Mets. He's the one that got away. Do you think Steve Cohen would have would have 
anteed up? I think so. I think that um, Zach Wheeler on this Mets team would be electric. And then I don't know if there's a need for to retaining any of these other guys, like going out and get a Carrasco. I don't, there's not really a no need for it. So Wheeler absolutely was the one that got away. Um, if this was, you know, and he was, that's true. He was waiting for the Mets to give him a call back. Now he's a Philly. Got the money at least, right? I mean, I guess. As far as Giancarlo Stanton, it's just, you know, like KD Perry song, you're hot, then you're cold, you're yes, then you're no, in and you're out. That's Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, opening day, as Kevin said, 0 for 5, three strikeouts. Game two, Saturday afternoon, worked a walk in at pat number one, and then literally did nothing else. 0 for 3. Uh, what? I don't know. And, and I, Talked briefly, briefly with with the other caller before, just a few seconds ago. Jay Bruce in the shift, man. I want to go back to this because this is something I really wanted to hammer home tonight. Listen, I know Jay Bruce was the Yes Network's player of the game, you know, the whole thing, right? I know that. But there was literally not one single infielder to the left of second base. Jay Bruce goes up there hacking, pulling a pitch foul, pulling it, ultimately striking out. And guess what? What was worse out of all that? His head was staring right directly these eyes into the center field camera. Nowhere near looking at the point of contact. What? Get a push bunt down. My God, are you kidding me? I mean, literally put the ball in play. Later on in the game, especially on that bloop single, there were runners on. This, In this case, there were no runners on, so the defense was able to do that. But, oh, my God, it was infuriating. Infuriating. Anyone else is infuriating? Aaron Hicks seems to be sharpied, not penciled, sharpied into that three-hole. Why? Opening day, 0 for 4, the big sombrero, whatever it's called, three strikeouts. I don't know it because I, I never had a game like that in my whole entire life. Game 2 picked up right where he left off. Strikeout swinging, two more on Saturday. So he's got six strikeouts through two games. He's tied for most in the league. Last season, he tied for second most walks in the league. He's not aggressive enough to bat third. Get him out of there. I get it. He he walks, so he gets on base. Okay, put him lower. Drop him down. I think Clint Frazier, I said it to, to Brian Hoke uh, that in, in the interview, what, two weeks ago at this point. Clint Frazier needs to be up higher in that lineup. He's got speed, puts the ball in play, and he's aggressive at the plate. That's what I want to see more of. I'm done seeing Aaron Hicks in the three-hole. I'm done seeing, like Kevin, John Carlos Stanton in the four-hole. I think, uh, I, I just think that Aaron... Boone gets so wrapped into these players and, and sharpying them in. Switch it up a little bit. As a coach, I'm never afraid to switch it up a little bit. And if you start it right in the beginning, if you set that precedent in the beginning, then the players obviously adjust to it. And and when it comes as a big shock in game 10 that Giancarlo Stanton has moved out of the four hole, it, it's actually not a big shock because they, they're, they're used to it already. So 
That's just my humble opinion on how I would construct the Yankees batting order. I want to hear what you guys say. And by the way, the quest to get better never ends. And I am working very hard on a new athletic goal, even at my old age. I'll recap my experience from this past week coming up with you on the fan. Get aboard, 877-337-6666. This is Justin Timberlake. Oh, wait. Wait, I know this one, Emmanuel. Fort Minor, 1%. Tell me, what is it? Eminem, not afraid. I'm not afraid. There we go. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight on this Easter Sunday. I'm Daniel McCartan with you till 6 a.m. on the fan here in New York City. Hey, um, if you wanted to tweet me too, maybe you're driving, maybe you're in, under your covers and you can't pick up the phone, or maybe you're at work. At Coach M C C A R T A N is where you can you can find me. Or if you're on Facebook, I don't really check that much throughout the show, but it's Facebook.com/slash Coach M C C A R T A N as well. So I just teased it a little bit. The quest to get better never ends. I'm not afraid. Tuesday, I decided to dust off. Some of the rust off my swing in preparation for the WFAN Boomer and softball season. And instead, I found out that I'm in mid-season form. <laughs> so I drove to the outdoor batting cages, which aren't really my favorite, but I'm still not ready to go to an indoor location. I just don't trust the people around me, that's all, um, even though I am double vaccinated. But so the outdoor cages, I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is made out of cement even the batter's box which obviously isn't the best to create any sort of lower body rotation but since my field goal video got over i checked twenty thousand views that's crazy and the foul shot one got only 500 views i couldn't believe it that wasn't so popular as as the other one I decided to to post another video of me crushing some line drives off the pitching machine. That video is without any re, you know retweets from from Craig Carton like the other video was or Evan Roberts or whatever. Uh, I think he did too. But th- the batting cage video is up to nine thousand four hundred and sixty nine views on Twitter. A lot of nice comments about my form, etc. But the one that made me laugh was from at Jersey Pyros. He wrote, "You're already the best. You are already the best hitter on the team. I mean, I don't know because I've never seen the team play, but maybe we'll just have to wait and see. I guess I cannot wait to get started into playing those games. And right now, I'm hitting retweet on it. So if you haven't seen the video, it's there. Um, but yeah, it felt like midseason form. So I, I got to get out and start building up the endurance in my arm. That's for sure. Um, just like some of these Mets pitchers are doing at Nationals Park." while they wait and await for their opening day because of COVID. I mean, come on. All right. In the order that you guys called, John in Staten Island, you're up. Hey, good morning. How are you? Happy Easter. Happy Easter. I was lucky enough to see your video. So pretty good. Oh, thanks. Pretty impressed with all we jumping off the bat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And my old bat, too. That You know, old. that was a, my freshman or sophomore year in high school, I got that bat. And that was 2000 and. Four, I think that was. So it's an old bat. Uh, yeah, and it still jumps off of it. But, uh, you know, I was all geeked up, finally signed Lindor. Yep. 
and I wake, I come down, and I got my son, me and my son are wearing our Lindor shirts. <laughs> yeah. And then I hear no game. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I was so excited. Now, now you know, stuff after the MLB, but it's terrible that you're all excited to watch your team play opening day, and I don't play till Monday. Imagine being so, a players, uh, too. I'm sure they feel the same thing. They just won't actually, like, say it in a press conference, but. It's just, it's just brutal. But, I mean, there's a taxi the squad for time, a reason. They did this last year to us, too. I mean, you know, one guy is going to make you, you know, I don't know how many guys have it, but. It's four. I mean, but, but, I mean, so what? Now, now what's, what's going to happen in the next series? I mean, they should be playing shorthanded. There's protocols. Yep. Yep. And, and, why, and my question is, why aren't the protocols being enforced? That's my question. Yeah, last year they did. I, I mean, you're, you know, so. I mean, hopefully it benefits us later in the year because now, you know, Lugo and Carrasco and uh, Thor, they, they might be back by the time they play. But it's just the point that, you know, they're punishing the Mets for, you know, I, I could see maybe one game, but you're going to do all three? Three of them, uh, no. Come on. You know, and John, that's a good point you bring up, that the Mets are going to be more at full strength. You know, I didn't look at it that way. I just looked at it as in the sense of like, okay, now you're going to have the Mets do what? three double headers on a weekend in a row, seven innings a piece. And like, that's not good. You know, when are they going to do it in the yeah. beginning of the season, the middle the end, hopefully not the end. Cause the Mets are poised to make a playoff run. You hope. I mean, you know, listen, the Padres are going to be good. Yeah. You know, I was watching the Phillies, the Phillies look good, you know, but let me tell you, I've been a Mets fan a long time. And every time I used to go to a game, it was a big game. We will always give up the home run or, mm. you know, he'd be like, Fifth inning, a hundred pitches, and he looked phenomenal. And I'm watching him against Travis Donald. I'm like, God, it's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But I mean, I guess... Travis Donald. I mean, everybody loved him. You know, the, the pitchers loved him. That's one thing I got to say about mm-hmm. him. But he never stayed healthy. Now, now with the Braves, he's a different hitter. Yeah. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> I know. What a change of scenery, right? What a change of scenery uh-huh. does, right? But it's tough. New York is tough. It's not an easy city. I know. So, and and the know. the NL East, by the way, is. Obviously, I think it's pretty obvious. It's the toughest division in all of baseball, I think. Well, but, you know, everybody's not giving the Braves credit, but they, they were one game from the World Series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dodgers are tremendous. So, Braves have a good lineup. Uh, and, you know, their pitching's decent. And, and, you know what? The Mets got to beat them. They, they beat up on the Mets. Yeah. You know, two years ago, we, we were right there. We had a three-game series with them. They came in here and they swapped us. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. we, we got to beat them when it matters. Yep. Uh, we'll see. It should be interesting. I mean, you love Lindor. You know, we'll see what they do with Conforto. But, you know, I, I do feel comfortable with Uncle Stevie. You know, I, I thought he was ridiculous to tweet, though. You know, don't tweet. Well, I just think but, that was like a pressure tactic. Don't you think so? I mean, that put a little pressure on the situation, didn't it? Yeah, but you look at Alonzo. I mean, you know what? They're all sticking up for each other. So yeah, I know. They, they got a good clubhouse. Uh-huh. They got a good clubhouse. Exactly. So you, you got to like that. At the end of the day, you know, they got to play together. You can say ownership, but you, you're going to win on the field. And yep. they, they have a tight-knit clubhouse, and they stick up for each other. And, you know, they're going to do the same thing with Conforto. Conforto's a big part of that team. Yeah. And, uh, they yep. can't lose him. He's big. But they, they got a lot of problems coming up, of course, Conforto. And, uh, Syndergaard. And, uh, yeah, Syndergaard's huge. You know, and I just, I just saw I, on my way in before, I, I was looking on Twitter, and um, uh, I think it was Martino reported that, uh, and John, thanks for the call there. Good points, great points. I hope your Lindor shirt, hope your Lindor shirt is nice and washed for tomorrow. But on the way in, I, I did see a report that, uh, I got to find it again, but um, they were they opened up 
because um, what's his name? Oh, I typed in Martini by accident. Martino, I have fat fingers. Uh, yeah, this came from Andy Martino that the Mets had preliminary extension talks with Jacob deGrom. And this is like 10 o'clock uh, from last night, 10 o'clock, a few hours ago, um, because he has an opt-out after the 2022 season, deGrom does. And um, the Mets have had preliminary extension talks with Jacob deGrom, according to Andy Martino. Um, he did say that, that talks, this is a quote from the article, talks did not progress and are not expected to resume this season. Repeat, this is a dead issue for now. But good for the Mets for getting out in front of this, I guess, right? Uh, so it, it just shows that they're being, um, I guess the word is, is the word prudent, I guess? They're being prudent in, in making their financial decisions moving forward. Um, I do think Conforto is going to hit the open market. Um, his agent is, is Scott Boris, if I'm not mistaken, and you know you know what that guy's all about. Um so yeah, I just think that Conforto will be hitting the 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 open market. Ultimately, I do think he becomes a Met again. I'm not sure their stance on Syndergaard, and I don't know if they should have a stance on Syndergaard just yet. I mean, I'd like to see him pitch before I did anything with him, but he did hit something like 96 on the gun the other day or last week. That's pretty good. Okay, let's go to West Babylon, and Dave, you're up on a fan. How you doing, Coach? First What's- off. I want to say shout out to uh, shout out to St. Joseph's for giving my wife and I uh, some great treatment over a Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and we we do feel a little bit better. My wife actually has COVID also, but um, I I want to get my uh, draft point in. But I, first, I want to make a couple points about the whole baseball thing. First off, mm-hmm. I think that to curb any of this, you know what? If you can't play, you can't play. You forfeit the game. Mm-hmm. If you have enough, if you don't have enough players to play the game, you don't play the game. That's it. You know, it, it curbs this whole thing, like the whole Justin Turner kind of thing, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. I know it's harsh, but that's that's how I feel about it. But you know, but what the, too, that's the first one. Yeah, it's like if you yeah. establish a taxi squad and you establish this alternate site of players that you can yeah, choose on. from, then then why not play the game? Because I'm telling you, it's going to come out. I'm tell- I don't know this, but I'm telling you, it was probably Max Scherzer. That's my guess. That's my guess. <laughs> well, I'm telling you. Thing, yeah. The second thing is, Francisco Lindor makes me nervous. Stop talking about how great you're going to be 10 years from now. <laughs> Can you just, like, not get sick? I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. We're talking about, we're talking about the medical meds, okay? Yeah. We're talking about the medical meds. So, but you know, you know my... Uh, my sport is football. So my my dream is for there to be a great interleague game in the next couple of years between the Jets and the Giants. And I think I think it can be done. I really do. Um, I don't think that the New York that the New York Jets have been fair to Sam Darnold at all. They Absolutely not. Too many systems. Yep. Too many systems. Over all these all these years, you got to give him another shot. And the way I feel about a high draft pick is if you have – I know people hate the word intergenerational talent, but if you have somebody who is that good, I was actually kind of nervous in, um, about getting Barkley because of the position instead of getting like a Quentin Nelson. 
But you know what? I was wrong because Barkley is that good. You have to take a flyer on that kind of guy. I mean, if if Kyle Pitts is that guy, yes, he is. Maybe you trade. Maybe you trade down a couple of spots yes. to people who need um, quarterbacks, and you still get Pitts, and you get a couple of and you get a couple of draft picks. Yes, I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, Dave, um, we are exactly in, in in the same mindset here for sure on that. Yeah. So, but. My my thing is too. Obviously, it's not just about the first round. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's about developing that culture, developing that that um, confidence in your players, and to just for Robert Salah to drop Sam Darnold like that. I think it sets a bad precedent. You got to give the guy, you got to give the guy a chance, and maybe just. Pull it, pull back, pull back the schemes, and, and make it simple for him, and then give him that weapon, and have him have him run, have him have him have him run. Mm-hmm. So, um, but hey, uh, Daniel, seriously, I hope your friends are doing okay. Everybody, stay safe. And thanks for taking taking the call, and I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, and your, you. your wife too, there, Dave. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you so much. I think, I mean, I think that's that's the plan, right? If you're a Jet fan, that has to be the plan. Listen, this whole Zach Wilson thing, like everybody's hyping this guy up. Next week, I'm going to have on um, Connie, who Connie Car- Carberg. I can never say her last name, but she uh, was the first female scout, a first sc- female scout in the entire NFL. Happened to be with the Jets. I'm going to have her on next week, and, and we're going to really get into this uh, Zach Wilson and um, Sam Darnold thing. I don't think Zach Wilson is all he's cracked up to be, okay? And I think, like Dave, I think that Sam Darnold deserves another chance here because I say it every week, it seems. I think Kyle Pitts is the the guy. Kyle Pitts is the guy. I think the Jets should be very attuned to him and what he can do on a field because, as I said, number one, the best weapon for a quarterback, the best safety blanket for a quarterback is a good tight end. Kyle Pitts is it. I, I, every week I tell you to look at the Super Bowl. Who played in the Super Bowl? Patrick Mahomes, Jason Kelsey. Who played on the other side of the ball? Tom Brady, and he brought his own tight end out of retirement, Rob Gronkowski, who two touchdowns. I think he should have been the MVP in the game. That's just me. Not that I had any cash on it or anything, but, uh, but, but that's first and foremost. That is integral to the development of a quarterback. And integral to a, a slumping quarterback. You can just dump it off to a big old tight end. I mean, come on. Second, I think Sam Darnold would flourish under this sty- style of offense, LaFleur offense. It's, you know, it's gadget plays. It's wheel routes. It's play action. I think, what is it, 35% of the time they ran play action. So I just think that, and I'm talking in, in, in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think it was 35% of the time. I just think that, Sam Darnold, it would take a ton of pressure off of him. Not to mention that their running game, the Jets, didn't strike fear in anybody's you know hearts. Any defender, there was no defender uh, that was going to be losing sleep over the Jets and their ability to run the ball or inability to run the ball. Let's just put it that way. Because Adam Gase, as you know, did not know how to use Le'Veon Bell. Didn't even want him to come to New York to begin with, 
and therefore, I probably because he didn't know how to use him, and and, and that was that. And then oh, the Jets have LaMichael Pirine. Oh, he scares me. LaMichael Pirine scares me in the same way that Saquon Barkley scares me. Let me tell you. Obviously, I'm just being facetious there. So um, I, I like the running back out of uh, oh, Sermon. Trey Sermon. Where's he from? Trey Sermon. I, I just watch him. Oh, he's out of Ohio State. I know that. Because I, I was watching him. and I was watching Justin Fields, really. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, in the, in the big spots, I'm like, who's this? Who's their running back? Trey Sermon? I think he's underrated. I think the Jets should go out and get him in a later round. Because, again, this is, goes beyond the number two overall pick. And is it an offensive lineman? Well, if it's Sewell, he's going to have to be playing right tackle. And if do you want to use a, a a premium pick on him at that point? I don't know you want to do that. Because you don't know how he's going to be at the at right tackle. So, I don't know. I think that's more of a question mark at this point in time. So, if I'm the Jets, Kyle Pitts is it for me. Uh, I'm doing it. I'm pulling the trigger on Kyle Pitts. I've decided. That's it. And we will, of course, next week talk to Connie about that. NFL, former Jets scout. One of the originals. So that's pretty cool. All right, we've got a Kevin Dexter update coming your way. And more of your calls, of course, after the break. If you want to tweet me on this quick break, it's eight, it's uh, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N and the phone number 877-337-6666. Danielle McCartney, Sports Radio 1019 FM, the fan, Welcome back here to McCartan After Midnight at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Talked a lot of Yankees, a lot of Mets tonight, and we just had some little bit of Jets flavor come in here. I'm, I'm watching Jalen Suggs on TV right now. What a shot! <laughs> what? I, listen, I, I didn't. I, I was closing my eyes before the show started a little bit tonight, so I didn't see. I saw a little bit of the game. I saw that it was a one-point game. I watched through pretty much halftime of the Gonzaga game, and um, wow! First of all, the whole how that whole thing progressed. Freshman, Suggs, ice in his veins, nails the bank shot, jumps up on the on the the podium, on the stand, on the whatever, the, the scorer's table, just like Kobe Bryant, just like Dwayne Wade, and man, did that kid earn it. What an exciting game that was. I mean, awesome. So this is the first time since 1979 that a team has entered the national championship undefeated. And most of the time, it looks like that it's ever happened, the team has won only twice out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, about 11 times. There's been a team that's gone to the finals and won it. Nine times out of 11, they've won it. So I don't know if you're into betting or whatever, you know, but um, maybe you want to put that in your in your cap. As you as you maybe maybe make a wager, but don't come after me if it doesn't you know doesn't work out. Don't come after me. My uh, my supposed to win bracket. Quick check. I'm in five hundred and six thousandth place. <laughs> That's up by the way from earlier today, which is about six hundred thousandth place. And then my other bracket, my upset special bracket. I'm in the eightieth percentile, and my women's bracket is completely busted because I had UConn winning it all. I'm done for. For the first time, of course, that I've picked them, they had their first NCAA tournament loss by double digits since 2007. Of course, I picked them. That's why. But a player by the name of Swamp Dragon in my WFAN listeners bracket for the women's tournament, Swamp Dragon, you're picking in a 97% clip. Stanford is the winner. So 
good for you. I hope Stanford does come away with it just for you. That's that's impressive. 97% correct. Cool. Very cool. But Suggs, the man of the night. You've seen all the tweets coming in. Kevin Love wrote, oh, my God. Best college basketball game in a long time. Patrick Mahomes was tuned in. LeBron James was tuned in. I mean, to take the, the charge at one end of the floor, Gonzaga, to inbound the ball while while UCLA was still trying to – I mean, they caught him off guard. They caught him in transition. And that's what it was. And and they got the ball in the, the their best shooter's hands, and it fell. Jalen Ramsey said, Jalen Suggs, that dude for that. Oh, my God, what a shot, Jalen Ramsey said. Awesome. Some great pitchers coming out of there. And it, it, it was like a – I mean, they were shooting. It wasn't like it was like Brick City. I mean, they both teams were shooting at a, an impressive clip. Uh, what was it, about 50% hovering around, plus or minus a little bit for each team. So it was great. It was a great game. Great game. And Gonzaga, with the longest active streak in D1, 35-game winning streak, is set to take on Baylor Monday at 9.20 p.m. Eastern, which that's a little late for me. I wish it was on a little earlier. Back to the phones. Ben in Queens, you're up on the fan. Morning, Coach. And you know what? I will begin right here. What? The kid Jusang did for UCLA and what Suggs did for Gonzaga, that's called we don't want to go home yet. We do not want to lose this game. Mm-hmm. Imagine UCLA fans. I put up I put up a post uh, about the UCLA fans at this moment, and I put Ralph with Lisa when Lisa turned them down on Krusty's show on The Simpsons <laughs> and his heart breaks and, and Bart is like stopping like you can actually physically see where their heart breaks. Yeah. 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 That that shot. I mean, I talked about Steph Curry last week and how people were hating and like, don't hate on Steph. He you are going to see more of these shots. He looked comfortable. Yeah. Doing that, mm-hmm. and and Mark Few still out of timeout. <laughs> yeah. he, 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 you could see it on the side. He's about to call it, and he's like, "Suggs got it. Let let's go with this." Yeah, and amazing, bam. great game. Um, so congrats to Gonzaga and Baylor. This should be fun. I already hear people complaining. Nobody wants to see Gonzaga and Baylor. Like they were the two best teams in the country. Deal with it. Get your blue blood. <laughs> tendencies out of here. You are about to see the two best teams in the country play for the title. Yep. And on that note, congrats to Stanford and Arizona. Alright? The Arizona game broke my heart, but you know what? Arizona deserved it. UConn came out sluggish. UConn fell into the the I gotta chuck three trap Mm -hmm. and built a hole they couldn't climb out of. Mm -hmm. Now Arizona's thing is they lost the first time to Stanford by 27. They lost the second time to Stanford by 14. So that, if that, you follow that ratio, this is going to be a one-point game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but speaking of heartbreak, South Carolina, two good layup looks against Stanford. I know, I know. <laughs> and, and here's the funny thing, right? In In our bracket there, right? I'm 14th. I had my final UConn versus South Carolina. 
that layup falls and you can't win. And I'm, I'm top eight. I'm not touching Dragon because 97% percentile, that's amazing. But, but I'm like, okay, I, I went from 14th with dreams of going up to eight <laughs> straight down to 22. Just like, wham, dang. And you practice that as a player. You practice that putback. You know, it was ah. a rebound, and you practice. You that was like that's how you end practice or, or start practice every day in basketball. And it was just so unfortunate that they, it just didn't fall. Just too strong. Quickly on both the Mets and the Yanks. You saw my post before. I, that was the first thing when they said, "Well, you're canceling the game. You're canceling the whole series." I thought they were supposed to have a seven to ten member taxi squad mm-hmm. at a quote-unquote, undisclosed location in case of. Mm-hmm. Especially, remember, baseball reiterated that after the Justin Turner thing. Yes. They said it. It's not like we're making this up. They said it at the beginning of last year, and then after the Justin Turner thing, said, remember, we have this in case of, so don't be worried. And immediately, immediately baseball just loves shooting themselves in the in these situations, you're like, this was your chance right here. You postponed the first game, mm-hmm. but you don't cancel the series. Right. You got the day off in between. Right. You get those players up. You test the rest of the team. Make sure no one else has got it. Back and play ball. <sighs> That's it. I know. Ben, I'm and, with you. And on on last thing to make me groan and and thank you for the time once again, Coach and. Beautiful swing as usual, because <laughs> your swing is going right into my last point. Yanks, we've gone down this rabbit hole before, okay? Hitting, contact hitting with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. For the love of God, and, and it broke my heart that DJ in the ninth had a chance and he missed. But how many chances do the Blue Jays got to give you to win the game, especially opening day? And you guys don't take advantage. Seriously. Yeah. This, this, people will be like, well, it's last year all over again. But for Yankee fans like me, this has been seven out of the last nine years where you could attribute key contact and pressure hitting as a main reason the Yankees stall in October. So, it's, guys, I know. come on, man. It's just, it's just the way the team is built. Ben, thanks for the call. As Thank always, you. appreciate it. It's just, you know, the way the team is built. That's it. That's the identity of the team. There's That's it. I mean, there's no other way you could put it. I mean, they've they've got DJ LeMahieu back. They've got a guy like Clint Frazier, who I think should be moved up in the lineup. And they're just going to roll the dice again and see what happens. And so far, you know, one and one. Let's just say the Baltimore Orioles have a better record than the New York Yankees at this point in time. We're two games into the season. I get it. Let's go to New Brunswick. Nolan, you're up on the fan. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? Good. How are you, Nolan? What's up? Good. Uh, the the first thing that just like kind of like it like gets me super angry is the fact that like uh, Mets they're they're not the top dog in town at the end of it's the Yankees. Well, we'll have to wait and see this year. <laughs> That's for sure because uh, no, it's, no, it's more no, closer than no, it's ever been. No, there's there's no ands, ifs, who's or buts about it. Yankees, yeah, they, they they lost the Jays. Brutal opening day loss. But it, at the end of the day, it's a Frank Sinatra town. So, it's a Yankee town. 
enlightening call there from from Nolan. Um, listen, this has always been in Yankee Town, I'd have to say. However, Steve Cohen is in, and it's been closer than ever. And I think this season, we're going to see. We're really going to see because both teams have their eyes set on the World Series. Both of them. And the Mets are going to have to run through L.A. to do it. And the Yankees, well, the Yankees might be the top dogs. The team to beat. Maybe. I think the A's are sneaky good. I actually think the Blue Jays are going to be sneaky good as well. Let's go to Kings Park. Carlo, you're on the fan. Morning, Danielle. Happy oh, Easter to you. Happy Easter to you, too. Uh, I'll definitely talk about some Yanks and some Jets if I could. Yep. Um, as far as the Yanks go, everybody's moaning and groaning why they're booing uh, Giancarlo Stanton. They're booing him because he looks like a stiff right now. <laughs> And, and it's ironic you say that because he, he introduced yoga into his whole off-season program, so it's ironic that you do say that. The man can't swing. He's just he's going to keep on taking. You know, the idea is to hit the ball, mm-hmm. not to be. You know, not to take to take uh, take ball after ball. And the longer this goes, the worse it's going to get. And Danielle, you know this firsthand. You remember game? Remember game five last year against Tampa Bay? What did he do in his last at bat? Well, was it a that strikeout? Gets un- that gets unnoticed. And people are like, oh, you're exaggerating. No, I'm not. He took five pitches and didn't even swing. <laughs> yeah, he's afraid. Was- he's afraid to miss. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yep. You know, not for anything. He has, he has a bullseye on his back. And until he can get that off, yes, he had a great... He had a great postseason. He hit like a mule. He he was hitting unmercifully and all that. But as far as I'm concerned, unless he produces, well, the whole team. Look, like you said, the team is feast of famine right now. And I'm in the minority. I'm in the minority as far as Sanchez because I like Sanchez. Yeah, I think he's going to be all right. And, I, and I've never bashed him on here. And you, Carlo, you know that. And I think he's going to be fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um Everyone loves to shred Gary. Everyone loves to shred him. And let's say, let's say in the first sixty games. Oh, because you know what, Carlo? Because it's easy to do that. It's easy to shred Gary Sanchez. It's just the easy way out. And if you got to look deeper than than that. You have to scratch the surface and go a little bit deeper into his psyche. That I think that's the biggest thing about him. But go ahead, continue. Why do they have to shred him? Why? It's like he's like he's the poster boy for being shredded. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Oh, he can't catch. Oh, he can't do that. No, no. You know, they brought up a stat on, on, on the Yes Network yesterday. From, from, 17, from 17 on, he has the most home runs by a catcher. Oh, I did see that, actually. Yeah, I did see that graphic. And I was watching. This yep. is, and this is coming from a guy mm-hmm. who supposedly is a bum, mm-hmm. okay? And this is incredible. Well, this is incredible. 147, I think I could have hit better than that last season. Oh, but. I understand that. Look. There was a small sample last year. He had look. He'd be he'd probably be the first one to say that he had a really bad sixty games. But the thing is, Danielle, they've got to stop. They have to stop uh, shredding him, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. But he will bounce back this year. I know he will. If he's healthy and he has the right frame of mind, he'll be fine. And as far as the Jets go, <laughs> I hate saying this, Danielle. I I truly do because I like Sam. Me too. I do. I like Sam a lot, but he's not going to be given the chance. Mm-hmm. Because this is not, this is not Joe Douglas's guy. 
Joe wants to make a make make a mark. But I'll tell you one thing right now, Danielle. As sure as I'm, as sure as it's Easter, as sure it's Easter morning, four twenty in the morning. Let me tell you right now. If they do not get this right, and they have, they have the Jet fans on the ledge right now because we are waiting patiently for this draft, patiently, and everybody's like, oh, we have the second pick. Well, then guess what? You better, you better get it right. Mm-hmm. But if you don't. If you don't, it's going to be S O J, and you know what S O J is, Danielle. You know darn well what a SOJ is. The same old Jets. They can't get it right. They, I mean, they tease, they tease us. We haven't had a quarterback since Joe Namath. I mean, Chad Pennington. He was good. Yes, Vinny was. Vinny was good. Vinny was good. I mean, <sighs> I know. I get you, Carla. I, I get the frustration. And, and no, you're, you're, you're no, right. You're right. Yeah. But I, the thing is, I know that. I know you're not high on Wilson. No. I know you, oh, I know you're not. I know you're not. But the thing is, why are they so high? Are they? Is this guy? Is this guy going to lead us to the promised land? Well, not immediately, and that's going to be part of the problem. Carla, thanks for the call there. And and not immediately is is Zach Wilson going to lead the Jets to the promised land? If you think if you think Tom Brady would come into this Jets team and lead them to the promised land, I think you're completely mistaken. I mean, come on, one quarterback is not going to solve this New York Jets. Just it's just not going to. Not going to. And uh, which of our New York teams is turning back the clocks on their uniforms for 2021? I'll fill you in and offer some perspective after the break. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Come down by Piazza. And the Mets lead 3-2. to Welcome back to McCartney After Midnight. Does that take you back? Does that home run call take you back? Steve Cohen told Wayne Randazzo, who was a good friend of this show, what those have been paying attention to for a while had expected. The Mets are officially bringing back the black jerseys. The last time the Mets wore those jerseys was in 2014. And as I sit here right now in my authentic black Mike Piazza batting jersey, I'll post a pic in a little bit. Emmanuel will take one of me. We'll post it at Coach MCCARTAN, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I know these jerseys seem to be polarizing, but my vote is I like them. To me, you heard that home run call a few seconds ago. These jerseys signify the triumphant return of not just New York, but the United States after the September 11th attacks. They embody the Mike Piazza go-ahead which ended up being the game-winning home run off the Braves' Steve Carsey in the bottom of the eighth inning. Carsey knew it was gone as soon as he released the ball. You saw his reaction. That moment was just so cathartic for so many New Yorkers and so many Americans. That was the first professional sporting event in New York since the terrorist attack. Piazza said, right after it happened, he said, it, it told the rest of the country and the rest of the world what New York is about. I'm just so happy. I was able to come through in that situation and give people something to cheer about. That's what they come out here for, to be diverted from their losses and their sorrow. And what a season to do it. What a season to bring back these black jerseys for the Mets on the 20th, 20th anniversary of the terrorist attack at the World Trade Center. Okay, so everybody on Twitter, Twitter's telling me, oh, so, so black isn't in original colors for the Mets. I get it. My answer to that is this. It's not every day 
it's a changeup. I would actually like to see them on the Mets schedule for like if they're home on like a Friday night blackout game or Saturday night or Sunday night, Sunday night lights, maybe something like that. It's it's just a changeup. It's an ode to to that team, to that moment, not just in Mets history, in New York history. So when you think of the black jerseys in the context that I just laid out for you, I really don't think you can hate it, to be honest. And at 440, we've got beatboxing coming up, Knicks and Nets. We'll go back to the phones in the order that you guys called, as always, of course. Eric in Ronkonkoma, you're up on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. What's what's your uh, Easter candy of choice? I love M&M's normally. I think Easter... Oh, you threw me for a loop there. <sighs> you know what I love? It's it's not candy, but there's <laughs> there's eggs. There's like these little eggs that are gum. They're, they're gumballs, and they're like speckled eggs that are gumballs. That's my favorite. Okay, I can okay. eat the whole bag of them. What about you? Yeah. Oh, I'm uh. Well, I'm uh. I just finished munching on a uh, eat egg shaped Twix. So. <laughs> yeah, Hungry? Why wait? All right. What do you got for me yeah, tonight, oh, Eric? Oh yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, I got to, uh, you know, being out here, I got to, you know, keep the, uh, the, the sugar going. So that, you know, I got to <laughs> yeah, start early, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, look, as far as the, uh, the, the black jerseys, cause you know, that's what, that's what back when I had my season tickets, mm-hmm. you know, as far as them being, uh, you know, the original colors, my, my answer is who cares? Cause you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, those were some very successful years. You know, for the uh, for the Mets, you know, '99, you know, uh, they almost made it. You know, you had the Robin Ventura mm-hmm. uh, Grand Slam single. Uh, you know, during that, that during that year, you know, 2000 obviously was the uh, Subway Series. You mm-hmm. know, 2001, you know, like you said, with the uh, you know the Piazza home run. You know, and that thing went into the scaffolding in uh, in uh, center field. So they, you know, that that was a no doubter, like you said. So, uh, so me and I have a. Uh, like, like you, I have a black uh, shirt for Piazza. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love but uh, yeah, no, I, I I love those jerseys. I you know it doesn't matter to me if they're not original colors. I mean, they're not wearing them every day, so who cares? Right. You know, but, exactly. Um, okay, a couple, couple things real quick. Uh, you know, you you were meant, you were talking about it last week as far as the uh, you know the the hitting you know uh, you know against the shift and uh, you know laying down a bunt and whatever. You know that they were doing it in uh, spring training, and my and my thought was, and, and it's already kind of playing out, was you know even though they did it in spring training, is that going to transfer into the regular season? So far, it hasn't. You know, um, right. But again, it's only two games, and you know, I, I was so annoyed when you know they had to cancel the series for the uh, for the opening, you know, for the Mets. So uh, you know, obviously, you have to listen to what's going on with the Yankee fans, and and I'm not a Yankee hater, so to speak, but you know, after the first game, and I'm already hearing people calling up saying they got to break up the team, and just it made me want to run into a brick wall. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. So, I mean, you know, you know, they're going to be there at the end. You know, unless something catastrophic happens. So, I mean, I just it, it just drives me nuts. But uh, well, yeah, that's what I wrote down during one of the calls before too about Gar- Giancarlo Stanton. Okay, he, the guy literally has a zero batting average. 
you know, he's so mercurial because he has a zero batting average right now in the regular season. And then when you think about what he did in the postseason last season, it was amazing. So it's almost like right. it's like the Yankees can kind of sort of looks like they can absorb him until the playoffs and hopefully he goes off. And I think of like the Nets with Kevin Durant, like they're surviving. Now they're going to turn on the Jets and then they're going to win the, the, the championship. That's what I'm thinking. Right. I think it's like the same idea. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, it's it's crazy. You know? But I would, I, mean, I, I would, Eric, move him out of the four spot. I mean, come on, you can't be batting zero oh, yeah. after two I, games. Come on. Well, you know, to to answer, you know, the, you were asking about that before. Now I'm curious. You know, do, do you think any of that is coming from? Upper management as I'm far sure. as where to place them. You, know, you, know, you never know these days. I know. It's a big so. team. They're all on a big team that they always say. It's never one person that makes a decision on this Yankee team, which I don't Yeah, especially with the analytics. Right. Days, you never know. But, right. Uh, all right. And then the last thing real quick. Um, you know, look, as far as, I mean, and, and we talked about Sam Darnold last week. I mean, but I, I got I to disagree with one thing. You know, Jets don't know, Jets don't owe him anything other than what they're paying him for his contract, not for nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was grossly unfair, you know, what he had to deal with throughout the course of his career so far. But as far as owing them another chance, they don't have to. Sorry. I mean, it's a business. Yes. So, I mean, it, you know, if, uh, like, like uh, Benny said, I think it was Benny, said that uh, he's not Douglas's guy. I mean, that's true. If, if he wants to turn around and get another quarterback, that's his prerogative. It they is. don't have to give it to him. Yep, it is. So, that's the only thing I'll uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, enjoy your holiday, and I'll speak to you next week. All right, Eric. Thanks for the call. As always, appreciate it. Yeah, and, and he's right. The Jets don't owe Sam Darnold anything other than the, the dollars on his contract, which is true. And, you know, he could be jettisoned and traded, and they could start over with Zach Wilson. But if, if the Jets do start over with Zach Wilson, I'm telling you right now, the Jets are not going to be a playoff team in year one. Don't expect them to be. Don't run Zach Wilson out of town in the same way that, that – a lot of people want to run Sam Darnold out of town. Let's go to Tony in Providence. You're up on the fan. Hey, good morning. Happy Easter, Coach. Happy Easter, you too, Tony. Bona Pasqua. Yes, always doing outstanding job. A couple you. things on basketball quickly. I'm a big Gino fan and UConn women. I can't believe it. All these years now, losing and not making it uh, to the final. I know. This is not like UConn. I know, because you know why? Because I had them winning. That's why they didn't win. <laughs> That's why they didn't make it. I just can't believe it. I mean, they always get close, and I thought this year would, would be different. But I'm really surprised, and obviously it was a great game because you know, like, um, it was like it could have been a foul. I thought it was very really controversial toward the end of the game. I thought it was a um, foul. I did. I did think that was a foul. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but no, it was a wild game, and it could be interesting. I know Gonzaga is the favorite pick, but I like to see upsets, and that's why they call them March Madness. Mm-hmm. And dying to talk about football. Because um, keep an eye on, on the Ravens coach, uh, has some wild ideas, look it up for the rule changes. So I want to give you our thoughts when you have a chance. Uh, there was an article, I think, or something on the web about uh, Harbaugh has some wild ideas about the like, replays and going to, um, you know, they go, they go uh, to New York. And well, I don't you know, know that's a good me, idea. Are you talking, so there's, there's one thing that they propose. I think I mentioned it very briefly about uh, overtime rules that they, they the Ravens want to, Spot and choose, it's called. Instead of starting overtime with a kickoff, one team would choose the spot of the ball and the end zone to defend, and the other team would decide whether to start on offense or defense. I think that's like arena league. I don't like it. 
Anyway. No, I don't like that one. But no, this is more about, you know, when they go to New York and things forever. Hmm. And I'm in New York, have more say or something. I don't like the idea. But, oh, more of like what know, the I XFL did, are you thinking? Like, like, uh, like, all right, let's go. And there's someone right on, on, on it. And like, the XFL did a great job, I thought, with that replays. So is that it or no? I can, I can look it up. Oh, wait. And, um, that, that could be it. But um, something about that was interesting. And obviously the 17-game season mm-hmm. um, was going to be interesting. You know what happened with the Steelers and with the rest of some players. And um, toward the end of the season, what was your thoughts about the 17th game? That could be a problem. Um, it's going to be a meaningful game. You know what I'm talking about when you said the starters, non-starters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, t- Tony, good question there on that. The 17th game, it's going to be new to navigate for a lot of a lot of teams. Um, do you sit the starters? It depends. It depends on where you're at. You know, you could be playing for a playoff berth at that point in time. I, I The way that they – I mean, the Jets are playing the Eagles. The Giants, I think, have the Dolphins. So it's like they're not divisional games, you know what I mean? But it's it's a good question. It's a good strategy. And if it's me, I probably would not – if, if – mm. It's just hard. It depends on your situation. You know what I mean? If you're in, then you rest your players. And it depends on the health of your team. If you're fighting for a spot, you, you can't rest your players, and it's just going to have to come down to that. I would like to have seen an extra bye week put in there somewhere. Um, that would be my suggestion, just to avoid any of that. You know, avoiding the, the load management, quote-unquote. But, you know, it's it's, it's going to be... Interesting to navigate, that's for sure. And for a head, first-year head coach, Robert Sala and the Jets, just going to have to wait and see, right? Let's go to West Palm Beach. Mike, you're on the fan. Buongiorno, professora. Buono Vasca, buono Vasca. What's up, Mike? I'm tuned in to your show, uh, Danielle. Last, I don't know, 45 minutes. I always love, you know, talk radio, live theater. It's, you know, some callers are right on and some callers, wow. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, great point on the black jersey, longtime Mets fan. Uh, Mike Piazza, uh, who you're friends with, you know, and your affiliation with the Italy baseball team is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that is, you know, uh, reflective of 20 years ago when the Mets had the black jerseys. And Mike Piazza's home run, you know, uh, the first game after 9-11, that, that was historic about his – uh, any historic home run hit at Shea Stadium. Yep. And Class Act Mike, he's going to be working community, uh, uh, you know, area for the Mets, um, which is great. Um, <clears throat> you know, the softball team, Danielle, um, looks like you guys are going to get on the diamond and, and start playing. Can't wait. I cannot wait. I know you can. You're chopping at the bit. <laughs> I know uh, I am. <laughs> yeah. And uh, is Boomer's uh, producer on that team? or uh, Al Dukes? Yeah, that guy. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I, I'm uh, not sure. You know what, Mike? Okay. I'm really not sure. I'm just going to show up, and I'm just going to be like, put me in, coach. I'll play wherever. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Yeah, yep. basically. Uh, well, let, me, let me show you and, what I can do. That's right. And I get a kick out of some people. We spoke about this, uh, uh, Danielle. You're a big Yankee fan. Cool. And, you know, I hope Sanchez – you know, can make it, but hey, pe- people that never played the game at a decent level, they don't have a clue how tough it is. Yeah. Round ball, round bat, and he's in a funk. Uh, I used to say to Tony Page, I hope he's doing good on his show overnight. <clears throat> uh, he's funkified at home play. When he first came up, looked like he was, oh, he's the next Colin Fisk or uh, Yogi Berra. But hey, you, you got you to uh, show what you're made of. Um, last thing, Danielle. Uh, WFAN woman 
uh, on the air. I watched that uh, interview with you. With oh, you the roundtable. Yeah, Maggie. It was Maggie Gray, me, Anne Ligori, yeah. Lori Rubinson, Erica Herskowitz. Yep. Oh yeah, and Anne Ligori. You know, I always listen to her. Um, um, you know, she, she's she's uh, very knowledgeable about the game of golf she plays. And when you have a chance uh, to to go to the range. And I know, you know, it's frustrating in the beginning, but uh, maybe you can tag along with Ann and play nine or 18 holes. That would be cool. Yeah, she did. T- um, she sent me a message afterward and she said, you know, next time I'm up in New York, let's let's meet. I was like, OK, sure. Yeah, you're chomping at the bit. Let's do it. And uh, one last thing I can talk about. The Wilpons could, <laughs> couldn't leave quick enough. And I'm a traditionalist, you know, um, home white Light blue pinstripers, I call them. Mm-hmm. Road gray. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad the black jersey's coming back. But the Whippons came up with this idea. It had to be. Let's put Mr. Met on the hat. Let's put him on the jersey. Yeah, I didn't like that. Put Mr. Met in the stands. <laughs> let, let, let him, you know, photo op with the kids and, and you know, uh, some uh, M&Ms or whatever he wants his blood. But, but no, no Mr. Met in the jersey. Yes, I agree. You know? Yes. <laughs> Mr. Met but, is yeah. one of the – I think Mr. Met, Mike, is one of the, the better mascots in all oh, of yeah. sports, honestly. Oh, yeah. The Philadelphia uh, Philly fans yes. are the craziest in the country. Yeah. The um, fanatic you know, is pretty you, cool, though. Yeah. But when you start beating up your your, your mascot uh, and throw snowballs at Santa Claus at halftime with the Eagles, that, that's a rough crowd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Danielle, all the best. Um, you are going places. And when you start playing golf, I don't have to tell you, you know, deals that are made on a golf course. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got, uh, let's see, what's the word? With your uh, acumen and your wealth of knowledge on the air, you have, uh, oh yeah, you have serious mojo behind the microphone, Danielle. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in well, every week. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Danielle. Take care. Oh, sorry. Estate bueno, he's probably going to say. Be good. Yes, I know. Uh, be good, Mike. You too. Um, yeah, so Mr. Matt, I, I love Mr. Matt. My friend in Las Vegas lo- has a thing about mascots. She loves mascots. And I was... I told her that I actually, and I'll get into this a little bit, maybe a little bit later, but me and my friend went to Philly to see a Phillies game two seasons ago, I guess it was now, and it was the Fanatics' birthday party. Like, who knew that mascots had birthdays? So I was telling her the story. She was enthralled by the story. But coming up next, I hope you guys are going to be enthralled, especially you basketball fans, by my first ever beatboxing edition, NBA edition, because the Knicks are taking on the Nets at the Barclays Center Monday night, and I've got two beat reporters that are chomping out the bit. Chris Eisman for the New York Knicks. He's from uh, NorthJersey.com, which is a newspaper I grew up reading, looking for my name in that paper. And you got um, Alex Schiffer from The Athletic taking on each other in beatboxing coming up after the break. Welcome to Beatboxing, where beat reporters from each team square off inside your listening device. Let's meet this week's contenders. Reppin' the New York Knicks from NorthJerseySports.com, which is the paper I grew up reading, is Chris Eisman. Representing the Brooklyn Nets for the Athletic NYC and the Athletic NBA is Alex Schiffer. Let's have a good, clean fight. Round one is the fan favorite. It is the emoji round. So, Chris, let me start with you first. Could you choose and explain one emoji, not a gif, to explain your team, the Knicks, at this very moment in time? I think I would have to go with the shrug emoji just because they're a 500 team. You kind of never really know what you're going to get from them. They've had games where they played really well, and then they had, like, you know, games like the one they had against Minnesota the other night where it was a complete dud. 
I think there are some nights where there, there you could use the uh, the anger emoji. I think there's some ones you could use the smiling one, the laughing one. But I, I think that you know there's been. I mean, where they are right now, a 500 team. They're an average team in a lot of ways. Uh, they're a great, good team in others. But I think at this point, I would just go with the shrug emoji every night. Alex, with the Nets, what is one emoji that you would use to describe that team? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the fire emoji. I mean, they've won 20 of 23 with Kevin Durant playing in just one game. It's funny, if, if you were to, like give me a, a gif for this segment, even like you think about the dog in the burning house, everything's fine. Like everything is fine, though. Like they've had all this attrition all year and they keep finding ways to win, regardless of if it's, you know, Katie and Harden, Katie and Kyrie. They've only had the three of them for seven games. I think this game uh, against Charlotte was the only second time they've had just Kyrie out there. So they, they keep finding these different ways to win, and, uh, and they're red hot. So fire emoji all day. Round two is the player swap. So I came up with this question because the Brooklyn Nets are the super team. But, Alex, I'm going to take you first. Which yeah, Chris has a lot more options than me. <laughs> yeah, right. I know, I know. So who is one player from the Knicks, Alex, that you'd pluck and put on your own team, the Nets, and why? Yeah, you know, I, I think you can make a case for a few different guys. I mean, you know, hypothetically, Kyrie Irving does have some injury history, and they're not very deep at point guard outside of him and Harden. You know, maybe Alfred Payton just as an extra rotational point guard as a as an insurance policy. You know, I think Julius Randle, the, the big bruiser type power forward, they really don't have a guy like him. So I, I think that he's a guy that could help them in the playoffs potentially. I mean, even just, you know, for the, the reporter and me, the storyline, I mean, R.J. Barrett is Steve Nash's godson. They lack young talent and, and he wouldn't have as big of a role on the team. But, you know, for the storyline of uh, of what used to be the biggest player in Canadian basketball to now the future Canadian basketball and, and just that dynamic. You know, I think RJ would be cool too. But you pick three. Give me, give me one. All right, I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll take RJ. I guess. Got it. Now, Chris, you've got a, a big choice here. Um, a lot of players to choose from. Which player from the Nets would make the Knicks that much better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a lot of ways, you really can't go wrong no matter who you take from the Nets. But obviously, I think I have to go with James Harden at this point. I mean, the big thing is he plays every day. He's so consistent. He's always, you know just he's always delivering him. Mean, he's a difference maker. He's a one man scoring machine. A lot of games. He's just playing at an unstoppable level at this point. And he's done it by himself. We've seen that this year. So I, I think that, you know, no question. I mean, KD, you know, when he's healthy, Kyrie, they're, they're great players, but I think right now because of the consistency and that he's been available and playing every day and just the playing the level that he's playing at, I got to go James Harden. No question about it. Would you say MVP level? I would say he's certainly close. <laughs> Round three, style of basketball. Chris, I'm going to do you first. The two teams, the Nets and the Knicks, we can all agree, I think, play a very different brand of basketball. So which style, the Knicks or the Nets, better embodies the mentality of New Yorkers? You know, it's interesting. I, I think fans have really taken to this Knicks team just because of the way they play, they're tough, they're gritty, and they play defense. And New Yorkers, they love to see a team that plays hard in the defensive end. And I think that they really value the way that this team's playing right now. There's no question that the Nets are flashy um, with you know the, the amount of offense and the amount of they score. Uh, that's a, they're a fun team to watch. But I think when you look at a way that you know New Yorkers kind of like to appreciate their teams, they like that toughness, that gritty team. Like I said, the team that plays really hard in the defensive end. So I think in a lot of ways, the Knicks right now sort of embody what what New Yorkers want to see. Which brand of basketball, Alex, better embodies the mentality of New Yorkers? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm- Chris used the word I haven't I haven't heard a lot this year with the Nets defense. That's a, that's a new one for me. I got to write that down. Um, you know, I I think he makes a lot of really good points in terms of you know the the grittiness of the Knicks and how they're they're a team that kind of grinds it out while the Nets rely on their star power. You know, I think the the Nets have the flashy 
And I think I think it kind of shows how diverse New York is, right? I think the Nets have the flashy star power that you know the, the big brand names that that you know people associate with the city. But I also think you know my my family being from the Brooklyn working class, uh, being a working class family from Brooklyn, you know, I, I think um, I think you know we would relate more to the Knicks in that aspect. So I, I think you can make a case for both. But but given my roots, I'd go with the Knicks. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Perceived weaknesses. Alex, let's do you first. Um, what is the number one perceived weakness of the Nets and how would you counter that perception? Kind of going off my last part, it's definitely the defense is a championship caliber. You know, they, they rank not at the rock bottom, but, but very well towards the bottom in defensive rating and a lot of those metrics. And, you know, I, I, it, it's definitely alarming, but you know, when they get fully healthy and given all their firepower, I think the question is going to be, you know, to, to counter, does the Nets defense have to be elite or does it have to be good enough? And given all the guys they've added, I think that they're kind of banking on more of the latter there than, um, than anything else. You know, they, they've had turnover issues and offensive rebounding issues, but, you know, I think part of that's chemistry related and, and scheme wise, but, but their defense will define how far they can go in the postseason, and, and they don't need to be elite, just good enough. Mm. Chris, what is the perceived weakness of the Knicks and, and how would you counter that perception? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy to see. They're just as well as they played on defense. Their offense is not nearly close to that level. I mean, right now they're 28th in the NBA in, in points per game, only in front of the Magic and Cavaliers. Um, that's no question their biggest weakness. They're not. Gonna, it's gonna. It's tough for them to score in a lot of games, and and they're they're winning with their defense, as I said earlier. And they're going to need to keep doing that, you know, through the stretch run of the season and into the playoffs if they get there. That's how they're going to win. Um, they're not a great scoring team. I thought that they were going to maybe try and address that more of the trade deadline. They didn't. So right now this is the team that they're at. And, um, like I said, they're just going to have to win with their defense because their offense is not going to be at that level anytime soon. So no question about it, that that's their biggest weakness. Round five. With that said, the Nets lead the season series two to zero. The Knicks head to Brooklyn tomorrow night. Will they be riding the L train? Get it? Loss? Train? Back to Manhattan when it's all over, Chris? Yes, the Knicks will be going back to Madison Square Garden with a loss. Um, I think that the Nets are just playing too well right now. Uh, They're playing at such a high level. And plus, there's always extra motivation for them to beat the Knicks. They're going to want to sweep the season series, no question about it. It's tough for any team right now to beat the Nets, and and especially the Knicks with the way that that Brooklyn's playing. So I think that it'll be a good game. I I think that the Knicks have the ability to to kind of – you know, we saw the last time they played. I mean, it was a close loss. It was a five-point loss to the Knicks, but – they just couldn't get it done in the end, obviously, with that controversial call against Julius Randle. And, and so I, I think that'll be a good game. I think it'll be pretty close, but I just don't see the Knicks having enough to, to take down this team right now. Alex, let's go to you. Are the Brooklyn Nets going to send the Knicks home on the L train? Well, the L train will put them somewhere probably in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, so they might need a, a connecting route there. But um, I, I, I think it, they do, but I, I'm going to agree with Chris. I think it's going to be a good game you know that has traditionally to me the Knicks have gotten up a little more for the Nets in recent years than than vice versa and it, it should be the other way around but it, it hasn't and you know as, as he said that Julius Randle call at the end of last game was was very controversial and I think the Knicks are going to have a little bit more added juice but I mean the way the Nets are playing right now and and I mean the the last time they met Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldrich hadn't played in in Brooklyn yet so the, the Nets have added more firepower to an already loaded offense, and I think that that's going to definitely push them over the edge for sure. But it should be a good game. Round six, potential playoff series. We're talking about a good game, the final regular season game. Until they meet again, maybe in a potential playoff series, the Nets are, be, are, are the NBA's team to beat. 
and the Knicks are playing essentially with house money. So which team will go to Alex first, which team has a higher chance to be bounced from the first round? I'm definitely going to go with the Knicks because I feel like with the way the Nets keep adding the, the, the talent they are, they have, their margin for error, I just feel like, seems to get a little grow a little more each time. I don't think they're like the Kevin Durant Warriors where they need like four guys to have a bad game. But, you know, when they assuming they, they can get on the same page for the playoffs, I just think they have so many guys that can score and, and score at an elite level to where, you know, they're primed for a deep run regardless of their defense. The Knicks are young. They haven't really been there before the way some of these guys in the Nets have, you know, even Lamar, Lamarcus Aldridge has 72 career playoff games. Blake Griffin's been on some deep runs. You know, Kyrie, Kevin, and James kind of speak for themselves. So I, I just think the Nets' firepower and, and experience compared to the Knicks makes the Knicks the easy one to, to bet against. Chris, do you agree? I actually do agree. I would echo a lot of what Alex said. And, I, I mean, I think the Nets are – I see them going to the finals, and I, I think there's, there's a very good chance, and I kind of have them winning at all at this point. I think the Knicks, it would just be a major step to even get to the playoffs for the first time since 2013. And, and they're going to end up – probably based on where they finish, they're going to end up playing a really, really one of the top teams in the East. It's going to be tough for them to compete in a series. And, and so I just, I don't, don't think that they have what it takes to advance in the playoffs just yet. What Alex said too, I agree with, I think that they're young. They're not quite experienced. They're not battle tested in that environment yet. So I absolutely think that the Nets are going to make a deep run, if not, you know, go the entire way. So I think the Knicks are, there's a much better chance that they get bounced in the first round. No question. Round seven, long-term success. Chris first, keeping in mind, you know, player contracts, the luxury tax threshold, and you can even throw coaching in there too. Are the Knicks or are the Nets better built for long-term sustained success? It's an interesting question. I, I think that when you look at the Nets, they're, they're, they're a super team that's built to win right now and the next couple of seasons, the next few seasons. But it's tough to have a long-term outlook with a super team. Super teams don't last forever. Whereas the Knicks, they have financial flexibility. They have draft picks. They have young talent that they're continuing to build. I think that's what sets you up for long-term success. The Nets went, give them credit, they went, went all in for it right now. You know, they want to win now. The Knicks are going to win in the future. So I think that they're, when you look at their long-term outlook in the next few years, and even further, I think the Knicks at this point are in better position to kind of build something sustainable and build something long-term. Alex, are the Nets super team built for long-term success? I, I agree with a lot of what Chris said. You know, I think it depends upon your definition of long in the NBA. You know, most teams that are contenders have maybe a two to three year window. And and if you get your the most out of that, you're pretty happy. So, you know, the, the Nets and Knicks are, are built completely different. The Nets are built through free agency and a, a mega trade, while the Knicks are mainly through the draft. The Nets have almost no cap space left. The Knicks have some. The Nets have no young up-and-coming players, really. The Knicks are full of them. So, I definitely think it depends upon your definition. I think the Knicks would take the Nets roster right now in a heartbeat for, for the ring and everything. And I think that, that the Knicks are built a lot more long-term in the sense of the Nets, when this ends, have no draft picks and they might face another dark abyss like they did when their failed super team of Lopez, Williams, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett failed. So I, I think the Knicks in the long, long-term are definitely better built. Hmm, interesting. All right, let's total this up now. Based on my scorecard, I had round one going to you, Alex, because I loved the fire emoji and you circled it back all the way at the end with the phrase red hot. So that was like bookended and with all the stuff in the middle. So round one went to I you, Alex. Trying. <laughs> round two, I had going to you, Alex, too, because of RJ Barrett. I did not know, maybe I'm living under a rock, but I did not know that RJ Barrett is Nash's godson. So hmm. yeah, they have a little pregame yeah. hug before every uh, Nets Knicks game. It's cute. 
I'm going to look for that now. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. So you taught me something. So that's why I went with you there. Round three is, I was really hovering. I, round three, I just, I went with draw for round three. Um, Chris, I loved how you used the adjectives, tough, gritty. Those, that's New York, isn't it? Tough, yeah. gritty. But I also like, Alex, you used the word diversity. And I think that also describes New York too. So for that, I'm going with a draw that's for good. round three. Four went to Alex because I love the question. Does it, does defense have to be elite or just good enough? And that's something we're going to find out um, over the next, you know, couple months or two months or so. So right now we're at a score of uh, three, Alex three and Chris, you got like a draw going on there. Do I get a prize or do I just go downstairs and tell my mom that I won? (laughs) Well, we don't know if you won just yet. All right, Alex. Vote though and everything. Yeah. Going in that direction. (laughs) So round five went to Chris. Because I loved how you circled back to the call on Randall, which is something that is going to be brought up pregame, halftime, the whole game coming up. Um, so you're first to bring that up there. Round six went to Chris as well. Um, because I like the phrase that you said, the Knicks is a major step up just to get to the playoffs. And I think Knicks fans, yeah. even the most diehards, would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so round seven, I actually had going to Chris too, because I liked it- how – you said long-term, <laughs> define long-term with a super team. And, and that's something I hadn't considered, actually. So with that being said, in my winner of this edition of beatboxing, well, it's a draw for me. Wow, so, that's, that was pretty good. Chris, you definitely picked it up at the end, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, just so, you know, I said I picked like three guys for like, who could you take one player? Who's the Knicks' best defender? I was really debating this in my head. Their best? Um... Mitchell Robinson, like, but they already have Mitchell's like a rim protector. Mitchell's just a shot blocker. He's yeah, just a they, shot blocker. They don't, they don't need not... what he brings, yeah. You know, RJ is not a bad defender. He's not as bad as people make him out to be. Julius has been okay. It's weird, like, they don't have one guy who's really, like, great at defense they just collectively they're just pretty good it's kind of yeah. weird interesting because yeah. I, I couldn't think of like i was thinking about the roster i was like there's really like they could use a wing defender like no one on the knicks really fits that bill like there wasn't like a no-brainer answer for like to address that really their best defender is frank milikina uh, you know but he that's not even a factor at this point he's barely barely playing, yeah so yeah but he really is when he's playing he's their best defender alex chris thanks for joining us tonight on this edition of beatboxing Thanks for having us. I've made my decision. Now it's your turn. Head to Coach McCartan on Twitter. That's M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N to cast your vote to give out the listener's choice beatboxing belt. In doing so, please consider strength of argument and also delivery. And just taking a quick quick look here. Uh, I did post the poll up on Twitter. And a quick look. We've got Iceman and the Knicks are up over Schiffer and the Brooklyn Nets. So 75-25. So you guys get your votes in. Who was the winner? There are 23 minutes left. I had a draw. (laughs) Kevin Rivera said we need to have a tiebreaker. Yes, the tiebreaker is your your vote. So go ahead and and cast your vote. 23 minutes remaining in the poll at Coach MCCARTAN. Here's Kevin Dexter with an update. Hello, good morning, good night, if you're going to sleep. <laughs> this is just a, a weird time here. Maybe maybe you're hit on your way to the airport. Maybe you're working. You know, it's always interesting to me what you guys are doing at this time in the morning. But whatever you're doing, thank you so much for tuning in to my show, McCartan After Midnight, or shall we say, McCartan in the Morning Now. 
here on The Fan in New York City. Uh, it's been a very lively discussion tonight. As always, um, we've been talking a lot about the New York Yankees. The Yankees have notched their first win of the series. The Mets, <laughs> not so much. Uh, obviously, the Mets, their, their season-opening series against the Nationals postponed due to COVID concerns um, or technically four positive tests from the Nationals organization and five more players and a, a staff member. I don't want to say coach, but a staff member are in quarantine. And man, that Gonzaga, the end of that game. Oh my God. So Gonzaga in the year 2021 is, it's the first time that a team has entered the national championship undefeated since 1979. And out of just a quick glance, about 10 or so or 11 teams that have done that, that have made the national championship as an undefeated team, about Nine out of those 11, 10 or 11 teams ha- have won it. So if you are a, uh, if you're a better, you didn't hear from me, but I would take Gonzaga in, in this. Uh, it's going to be an interesting game. Monday night, uh, you know, tomorrow night, uh, the Gonzaga kind of makes their, what is it, butters their bread, how, whatever expression you want to say, but they get it in from the, 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 on the block, they hammer it low. They beat you on the glass. Whereas Baylor, they it's bombs away from the three point line. So this, these are two very different teams coming in. Two very good teams. Two of the best teams coming in, and uh, and we'll see what happens. An unstoppable force and an immovable object. LeBron James tweeting one of the best games I've seen in a long time. Patrick Mahomes tweeting, "Are you kidding me?" Hashtag Final Four. I mean, Suggs, the freshman. My God, to hit that jumper. The ball was released from his hands with .6 remaining on the clock. And then he jumps up on the scorer's table, a la Kobe Bryant, a la Dwayne Wade. Man. Ice in his veins as a freshman. Awesome. Awesome finish to that game. Kevin Lum tweeting, oh my God. <laughs> and I think that was the reaction all around. I have a, a my friend in Vegas, actually, her sister went to Gonzaga. They're huge Zags fans, and I can only imagine what that household looked like uh, at the end of that game. Oh, my God. So the Yankees. Start spreading the news. The Yankees defeated the Blue Jays on Saturday afternoon, notching their first win of hopefully very many on a, uh, a World Series or bust season. So the three things I was looking for in the Yankee game um, – were one, Kluber, I was looking at him, two, hitting with runners in scoring position, and three, Glaber Torres' instincts. Corey Kluber, number one, entered today having pitched 18 total pitches in 2020. Total. Which we've talked about at length here on this show, but you know, based upon all of my research, I've told you here every week, I was not, I am still not worried about Kluber and the Yankees, for sure, definitely, with through Eric Cressy, had the inside track on the scouting report of him. Absolutely. Today, he pitched exactly as I knew he would. I think, actually, Saturday, I should say, Saturday, I pitched exactly how he knew he would. He should have traded his Yankee cap for a magician's hat Saturday afternoon, as far as I'm concerned. No, he didn't pull any Easter bunnies out of it. Happy Easter, by the way. Buona Pasqua to my Italians. He didn't pull any Easter bunnies out of his cap, but he did 
single-handedly pull the Yankees out of three dangerous jams. And if you're a Yankee fan, you got to be quite pleased. First inning, pitched out of a jam, stranding a runner on third with a big strikeout of Hernandez. Third inning, situation was uh, first and third, one out. The dreaded defensive situation, the worst defensive situation you could possibly be in, right? A run scored on what could have and should have been a strike him out, throw him out double play. More on why that didn't happen in a second, but Kluber bounced right back, right after that. Struck out, arguably, Blue Jays' best hitter in Bo Bichette, looking, might I add, rang him up with a backwards K, Kluber did. Backwards Kluber, huh? How about that? Fourth inning, probably most impressive. Worked out of a bases-loaded jam with an inning-inning ground out to uh, Glaber Torres. Aaron Boone said he was very happy with the movement on Kluber's pitches, the ability to move in and out. He said, I thought it was really good. And what was interesting in, in, in Kluber's post-game comments, what he said about Gary Sanchez. Now, the second pitcher that I know of to publicly endorse him, the other being Darren O'Day, Kluber said, I thought Gary called a good game. We were on the same page for the most part. I don't know if I shook at all. Hmm. Guess what? That was their first time working together. I, I, that's unbelievable to me, actually. So they clearly were on the same page. Gary said he felt comfortable catching him through a translator. And uh, when, when Gary was asked about Kluber not, you know, that comment about not shaking him off, Gary said, again, through a translator, I don't know. I think it's the confidence in the catcher. Before the game, we create a plan, me, the pitching coach, and Corey. And when we get in the game, it's just executing that plan. The movement on his, all of his pitches was amazing. He was commanding the zone. See, that was the thing. The movement on all of his pitches, and Gary Sanchez didn't really seem to have any issue um, catching him. However, many uh, – see, I'm not I'm – not, I, I, listen, I'm not a, drunk, a, a, a Gary Sanchez hater, and I'm, and I'm not um, you know, in love with the guy. I feel like I'm very even-keeled when it comes to Gary Sanchez. I think of him as an improvement project. I think of him as one of my own players, actually, and how to help him. Like, that's always my approach with Gary Sanchez here on this show and in real life. I'm the same, believe it or not, on the show and in real life. But, you know, the thing with him is everybody tries to point at, oh, well, you know, he he, he had two passed balls. Really, though, really didn't. Because the one pitch from, from, uh, what's his name? Ludage, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I usually am good at this, but he, the first one kind of rolled up his arm, short hopped him. Maybe he could have gotten front and blocked that one. The other one was not close. It was it bounced like fifty six feet in front of the in front of home plate. It was not close. You cannot blame that on Gary Sanchez. And speaking of uh, blaming on Gary Sanchez, we we'll skip ahead now. My no, third thing I was watching was Glaber Torres and his defense, and to me. One shortstop to another, Glaber, looks like you're playing out of position. I know you're trying your best to learn. Just like you studied your butt off to learn English because you didn't want to have to use a translator, you're definitely a hard worker. But the instinct, the innate ability is missing, in, in my humble opinion. I mean, listen, shortstop is just a, it's just a hard position just to pick up and learn. Brian Cashman knows this. He said that Torres is better at second base and shortstop. He said that. But the major question for the Yankees is going to be how much they're able to, I don't want to say tolerate, but withstand regarding his defense. 
coming off a season where Torres was tied for second in errors committed all by all shortstops in the league. Again, opening day, he took a bad angle to a ball. He let it play him, which is something that's like like the dreaded you let the ball play you part. Then he double pumped, threw a one hopper to first, safe. And it all emanated from the bad angle that he took, the bad path to the ball that he took. Again, the instincts. And when you fast forward to Saturday's game, I told you I'd come back to this. And this is how this ties in with Gary Sanchez. In the third inning, Kluber had an opportunity, again, for that strike him out, throw him out, double play. And Sanchez short hopped the throw down to second base, which is not the worst thing. That's allowed. But Torres was just so much more concerned or worried about the runner bearing down on him and trying to, you know, pick the ball and, and, and off the bounce and, and swipe tag it instead of just getting in front and giving up on the runner and blocking the ball at that point. Again, it's instincts. You block the ball first, you worry about the runner second. Because then, of course, the ball squirted into center field and the runner scored from third base easily. And Sanchez was given the error, which, in my opinion, was kind of like a bad call. A bad a bad assignment, I should say, of, of the E. So, um, I, I, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know about that call, but Glaber Torres, he's got to show me a lot more because that, it's just, it's just not good. Although he did have, in, in I think it was the first inning, might have been the first batter, he, he ranged to the, it was a ground ball in the, in the third base shortstop hole, ranged to his right, slid, I think he backhanded it, popped up, threw the ball to first. The, the runner was safe, but it was a good play. It's been wildly inconsistent, you know? And that's that's almost like a, a play that a second baseman would make kind of up the hole, uh, up, up the middle. So it's not an instinctual play. It's more of a physical play in that sense. And the other thing, hitting with runners in scoring position, wow. Um, for Garrett Cole in the opening day, Yankees were 0 for 9, stranding 10. Today for Kluber, uh, Saturday for Kluber, um, still not great. 4 for 10. Stranded even more runners, 12. Glaber Torres struck out with the bases loaded. So that's, uh, that's I, I, can't, I hate to keep bringing up his name, but my God, he, he got up in a big spot and, and couldn't deliver, and it was 3-1 at that point. And of course, Jay Bruce shortened up his swing with, with two outs, shortened it up, bases loaded, the bottom of the six kind of broke it open with that bloop single, which you've seen a million, a million, a million times over and over, I'm sure. So, um, and the other thing that drives me nuts, I know Jay Bruce was named the Yes Network's player of the game, but there was a point where there were no runners on base early on in the game. There were just like Bush League, Rec League softball or baseball. The Blue Jays shifted to a four outfielder set. There was not one single fielder on the left side of the field. Jay Bruce first fouled off a ball, pulling, pulling it foul. And then he struck out. Lay down a bunt, man. Learn how to do it. And then, here's the thing. The other thing is, regarding the Mets, a terrible precedent has already been set by Rob Manfred's MLB on literally day one of the season. Because despite the requirement to establish taxi squad players, every team has to, or alternate site players, they've already had to postpone a, a series. And it just happens to be the New York Mets. Look, this pandemic's no joke. 
We're not pretending to be doctors. However, however, we've been accustomed to this new normal and this pandemic living for well over a year now. And my initial thought, actually, and, and let's, let's wait and see when it comes out this week. My initial thought was that one of the four Nationals players to test positive had to have been their opening day starter, Max Scherzer. I don't have any inside information. I'm just reading the tea leaves here. Forget about whether or not the players engaged in risky behaviors or not, or if they picked it up at random or not, whatever the scenario is. It's just completely besides the point. And if you're fixated on that, you're about to completely miss this point. My point is, there, there's just no excuses now. The game should have been a forfeiture on the part of the Washington Nationals for the simple fact that there should have been taxi squad players established for a reason. Put them in. Why didn't the Nationals use them? Why didn't MLB force the team to use the players? What is the point of having an alternate site with taxi squad players there? What's the point of it? And under what conditions does the league establish that teams must be forced to pluck players from the alternate site? Do those conditions even exist? Adam Silver's message in the NBA when they could play with a minimum of eight players? Too bad. The show must go on. Tighten your ship. Meanwhile, Rob Manfred's message is, huh, it's all right. Screw the opposing innocent team. And this really has screwed the Mets because it has immediate and long-term consequences. Immediately, it's a gigantic case of hurry up and wait. Now's not the time to be resting your players. In fact, it's the opposite, especially to the starting pitchers who are looking to utilize this crucial time to stretch out, to build upon their endurance and their arms that they created in spring training. They're looking to build upon it. And not to mention the momentum building up to opening day. One of the most exciting days across the entire league. Marcus Stroman on Twitter said, excitement right down the drain. And can you blame him? And long term, I mean, these games are going to have to be made up eventually. Especially since they're league games. So why make the Mets crunch to fit this NL East series in? Thus fatiguing them at whatever point of the season it's going to be. Mets are ready to make a run. Doubleheaders to make up for this in 2021 is not the answer. Last year, fine. It was not, you know, no one knew how to handle it. There were only 60 games in the season. There was time. There was opportunity to make up the game. But this year, no way. It's unrealistic, and it's quite frankly unfair. And there no, there's no need to punish the Mets in, like I said, what figures to be 162-game season plus postseason. Because newsflash, the Mets are not the 2021 Pittsburgh Pirates, who have the worst odds to win the World Series. In fact, the Mets, depending where you look, they're like fifth or sixth. They have the fifth or sixth best odds. So there's one person that's happy about it. Taewon Walker. He counted the days on his calendar, and he said, my Mets debut will be the home opener. Let's go. (laughs) So that's good for him. But again, it shouldn't be. And I'm crossing stadium number 20 off the list this upcoming week. I'll tell you which one. And I'm going to ask for your tips on my adventure to a new city. Coming up right after this break, get aboard 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. This is John Sterling. Listen to Yankees baseball driven by Jeep today at 1225 as they wrap up their series with the Toronto Blue Jays. Today's game can be heard in its entirety on Sports Radio 66, WFAN AM, and streaming on WFAN.com with the Brooklyn Nets taking on the Chicago Bulls at 150 on Sports Radio 1019 WFAN-FM. 
I just want to be successful. Drake. Manuel, that was an easy one. Welcome back to McCartney After Midnight. This is crunch time here, everybody. I'm on until 6. You know that phone number. And if you can't get through, uh, you can tweet me, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Before I reveal stadium number 20, where I'm going to this upcoming week, I got a good tweet from at Tom Geo 801 He said, MLB made the Marlins play with multiple players down last year and gave Washington a pass. Happy Easter, you and your family. Happy Easter. Buona Pasqua to you, Tom. Uh, true. So what the heck, man? And somebody's got to tell Twitter uh, under the what's happening tab. It says MLB last night, Mets at Nationals. <laughs> womp womp. All right, so I'm going to get to your calls in a second, but I really do want to know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crowdsource this answer here. So I decided to book myself an extremely last minute, very short trip to a baseball city to see my first live action sports game in 392 days. Don't forget. I'm double vaccinated. I'm still going to be double masked on the plane. When it, when they give out the waters, I'm not even going to break the seal. I'm just going to hoard the water, and I'll, I'll drink it when I get off the plane, or actually out of the airport, actually. Whatever it is. I won't even need any snacks. I'm not breaking the seal. So where am I going? Number stadium, stadium number 20 on my list is Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. I'm catching a Reds game next week. I'm sitting in a pod of one in section 132. Very excited to get back to a live sporting event to check another ballpark off the list. And I was talking to, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for your, your suggestions here, and you can send them to me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Tweet them to me as well. I was talking to a guy in an airport once, and I think it was Milwaukee, um, when I went to see the Brewers game. And then he ended up being a Cincinnati local, right? He told me that there's a ferry that crosses the Ohio River, and it's going to take you to the game. Like, the he said... Please, no joke, the ferry leaves from a Hooters in Kentucky, and it takes 10 minutes or so to drop you off in front of the park in Ohio. So I called the place the other day. It's actually legit, and for $6, I'm going to take the ferry to the game. So I've got my pen out, ready to take notes. I'll take your tips on the city and on the ballpark, even the Bengal Stadium. I might do that if, if you got them. I want to see it all. I want to do it all. But again, I'm only going to be there for like 36 hours, so very short, limited amount of time. So I won't have forever to be exploring far, far from the stadium. But you got your tips? I'm willing to take them. Okay, let's go first off, uh, first off in the 5 o'clock hour to Queens. Ken, you're up on the fan. Thanks for holding. Yes, Danielle. By the way, great name. My firstborn, same name, Danielle. So oh, see that? Throw it at it. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll tell my parents. <laughs> okay. Now, um, don't get angry at me. I'm going to have to disagree with you about Kluber. You know, it's funny because last last night I called up Steve Summers and I told him the the top five pitches I had seen live in my lifetime, Mm -hmm. who they were, right? Okay. And uh, very quickly, I'll just say I said Koufax, Gibson, Juan Marichal, Seaver, and Whitey Ford. Okay. yep. The late Whitey Ford would be turning over his grave tonight if the performance that Kluber gave, I was not impressed. I mean, he pitched four innings. He gave up three he, three walks, a massive home run. Yeah, he got out a couple of jams, but if the Yankees are relying on this guy to take him to a World Series, I think they're in a heck of a lot of trouble. I really I, – I mean – but they won. He was good with Cleveland, but even in big games with Cleveland, he he faulted. He didn't come through in a lot of the games. 
when Cleveland was making their runs back in those days. Yeah, but you know what? I think you're thinking of him as a number two guy. You know, right now he is. But when Severino comes back, he's going to be the number two guy, and they're just going to move him down one. You know what I'm saying? And behind Cole, yeah. I think it's fine. You know, listen, I understand he only pitched a limited amount, but look across the league. All of the pitchers are on, are on a pitch count, 75, 80 pitches. It's it's not just a Yankee thing. It's just uh, they don't want to get him hurt right. early, you know? Yeah. I, I just think you cannot I, – I, you're just so down on it. I, I – I hope that you're just not down on him for that because I think the guy has a ton of potential. He's revamped his entire thing with this this uh, this analytics, his whole wind up, his whole everything. Uh, and I think I'm 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 open minded. I'm ready and willing to give him a shot to really earn his pinstripes. Mm, I hope you're right, but I really I'm very doubtful now. As as far as Sam and the Jets, mm-hmm. you know when Sam was drafted by the Jets. Danielle, oh, I was so happy. I, I, I just jumped. I mean, I thought Me we finally had our franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, because I'm a realistic, I'm a realistic fan. Mm-hmm. Thank God I'm old enough where I've seen my championship with Joe Namath. Okay, but that was the last one I never thought would be the last one I would ever see. <laughs> yeah. But the night that he saw Ghost and made that comment, Danielle, that turned me off completely, and that's when I no longer became a big Sam fan. And I'll go back to 1963. I know it's a long time. Y.A. Tittle with black coming down his face against the Chicago Bears in that game, Mm -hmm. and I don't think he ever said after the game, I see ghosts. Okay, so the seeing ghost comment, Ken. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna hang up on you so you can hear the answer here, Ken. Great call, always. You brought it, and okay. th- thanks for hanging. Um, but the seeing ghost thing, I don't put uh, on Sam Darnold. I mean, I do. I put it on Sam Darnold. Yes. However, as a coach myself, if one of my players ever said I'm seeing ghosts, I would be mortified because that means that the player was not adequately prepared for the game. The player did not know the game plan. The player did not know how to read the particular defense that was, uh, and now I'm talking specifically football, the, the quarterback didn't know how to read the particular defense that was thrown at him. Um, just nothing was working. So that, to me, signified a week of practice that, honestly, what what was happening at practice is my question. You know, So um, while, yes, you could put it on Sam, yes, uh, I actually placed that that seeing ghost comment more on, on the preparation or lack thereof from the coaching staff to their player. Um, and I know I've talked about that before, but um, listen, Sam Darnold, oh man, you want to like him, right? You want The Jets drafted Sam. I was at the draft when the Jets drafted Geno Smith, and Geno Smith got booed at Radio City Music Hall. When Sam Darnold got drafted by the Jets, traded up to get to him, by the way, don't forget, um, it was... You know, it was that feeling of like, yes, the Jets have finally got their quarterback, this and that. And then his first ever touchdown completion was to the other team on pick six. And it just goes to show you that, you know, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, running for his life, Sam Darnold every Sunday running for his life. So whether he gets another shot in, in, a, in an offense that is better suited to him for him and an offensive coordinator that can, I don't know, figure out a game plan that accentuates his strengths – uh, I'm I'm willing to see it. I would sign for that. Whether or not Robert Sala or Joe Douglas want to co-sign that, you know, with their reputations on the line, I'm I'm not so sure. But again, it's like everybody's making this out to be like, oh my God, there's like no quarterbacks ever in the draft. 
Come on already. The Jets don't take one this year. They'll take one the year after. There's always quarterbacks in the draft, guys. And Zach Wilson doesn't really whet my appetite, but we'll talk to a Jet scout next week, and we'll see what she has to say. Uh, let's go to North Brunswick. And Tom, you're on the fan. All right, good morning, Danielle, and happy Easter. Happy Easter to you, too. Thank you. Uh, well, one thing, quick thing on the Jets, at least they have a real head coach. Yes. I love uh, Salas. I mean, he looks uh, fiery on the sidelines. I know he hasn't uh, coached yet, but I think he's going to have uh, he's going to be much better than the other one. And, oh, uh, I mean, come on, much better than the other one. You or I could have <laughs> coached better than him. Come on. Come on, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't like putting people down, but he was Me neither. But come opinion, on, let's let's call, really sp- let's call a spade a spade, Tom. Come on. It's horrible. Know, I know, I know, I know. And I didn't like his press conferences either. Oh, yeah, no. But they, that, they were must-watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they're going to be a lot better this year. I think that, uh, you know, but I called on the uh, – oh, real quick. Gary Sanchez on pace to have 162 home runs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Baltimore you know, he, Orioles I, are on pace to win 162 games. <laughs> To be fair, real quick, I know I'm talking about other things, but uh, Sanchez has an enormous amount of talent. I don't know what happened to him, and but I wouldn't be surprised if he had a, a, a great year. I really, I'm being honest. I'm a yeah, big baseball it, fan, yeah. and um, it's, it's, it's uh, like an enigma, but I, he has talent, so he can break out of it. Yeah, it's it's he's a total head case. It's mental, and as long as he yeah. has the confidence pumped into him by these pitchers, Darren O'Day, Corey Kluber, he's going to be fine. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with your point on the uh, Manfred. I don't understand. I, I, I you know, they have a, a, you know, is that a... The taxi squad. They have the, what's that called? Taxi oh, squad. Taxi alternate squad. site. Yeah. Yep. So I was wondering why, unless there was a whole bunch of players. Uh, but uh, you know what? I'm disappointed. But looking forward to opening night in Philadelphia. Uh, it's supposed to be good weather and should be great. I can't wait. I mean, it's been it's been a long time since... Mm-hmm. Um, Danielle, it's, I'm excited as a Mets fan. I think they're going to have a real good season. I really do. Yeah. They have a lot of talent. Yes. They have a, their hitting should be outstanding. Mm-hmm. A little worried about the bullpen, but uh, and the starting pitching. And did you see what Zach Wheeler did? Yeah. I, uh, damn, I wish they would have signed him. He's the one that got away, wasn't he? <laughs> yep. I know. Well, anyway, you have a happy Easter and and, and a nice day. Thank you. Oh, Tom, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, the Mets are the Mets are looking good. That the one thing I, I would put my level of concern for the Mets at number one defense number two bullpen i'm not so concerned about the starting pitching i'll be honest with you and i told you last week my x factor in that rotation lucchese i'm telling you all right let's go to yeah manhattan vernon what's up vernon hey daniel how you doing i'm good how are you i'm doing great i got my tax refund from federal was in the bank cha-ching so, uh, all right yes <laughs> so this is one wonderful thing to happen on on Easter. So today I'm going to do some quick review. I'm not coming to you as Vernon. Uh oh. I'm coming to you as the mole. Remember I tell you I'm oh, always yeah. the mole for yeah. for Tony's age. Yes. So anyway, this past Monday, which was uh, three twenty nine. I mean, um, uh, Monday that just passed. This was a interview with Steve Cohen and uh, with Mets fans, and this was shot live. So seven things I picked out from Steve Cohen. Is Number that the one, one he did with uh, Wayne Randazzo, that one? Uh, no, this is, uh, uh, yeah, I think it might have been him. Yeah, I think but it was. I sent you an email. Yes, yes, that's the one. Oh. Yes. Okay, great. So number one, the black jerseys will be back. I'm said. wearing my Mike Piazza tonight, Vernon. 
Okay. And he said, these black jerseys are going to be sold at certain games. So mm-hmm. watch out for those games. Mm-hmm. And if you come to the game, most likely those jerseys are going to be two places, in the main Jackie Robinson Rotunda or one flight up to your right in the Majestic Store. Okay. So that's going to be happening. Number two. There will be a lot of free giveaways this year. Yes. So all you fans, look for the free giveaways that's coming out from him. All right. Number three, fans want to see the game. Like, for example, on Saturdays, they don't want these 1 o'clock 10 games. They want the 4-10 games. There's a reason behind that. Because you come to a Friday night game, 7 o'clock, you're tired, you go home, Welcome to one game. They get at 10 o'clock in the morning, so he wants to switch it. They want to switch it to 410. I get he it. He is in agreement with that. I like that, yeah. Number four, he is not they're asking him to throw out the first pitch. He is not going to do that. Why not? He has a torn rotator cup, uh, so he doesn't want to go on the field and do something like 50 cents. So he is not <laughs> going to throw out the first pitch. <laughs> Number five, he's going to bring back the old-timers game starting in 2022. That boggles my mind, Vernon, how the Mets never had that. You know what I mean? Had that. Like, come on. There's so much history with the Mets. How do they not have a game like that? So I'm so happy for that. (laughs) Number six. And I think I know why the fans wanted this. The fans actually wanted to have a home run derby at City Field with Mets fans. Hmm. He laughed about it. And he said, no, he's not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a liability, and, I think. <laughs> yeah, but see, the reason I, I now figure out why the fans want that. If you go to a Mets game, between innings, they always have something that's a little entertainment for you. Yeah. There's a small ballpark out there between first, I mean, between center and right field. Mm-hmm. And the little has a little kid swinging at the back. Yep. And whoever hits the most home runs, get a prize. So they want to do that. Uh, he says, no, they're not going to have a home run derby. Uh, I, I, number seven, um, I see that. <laughs> number seven, Bobby Monia just said to him, listen, you're tired of hearing this guy every year. Pay him his, all of his money so we can get rid of Bobby Bonilla. I like he that. He is not going to do it. Why not? He's going to honor the contract. Oh. He's going to keep paying each year based on what was set up. So that's not going to change. Mm. And the other thing is I had a chance um, as a full season ticket holder, you can get to actually go to batting practice at City Field when the Mets are away. Mm-hmm. You set up in these big batting caves. You're in the dugout. It's a lot of fun. You just, the only way you can get to this particular area to do this you have to pay your bill all in one at a certain time before that deadline passes. Huh. So this is the mold given everyone the seven things that happened here from Steve Carvey, I mean Steve Cohen. For everyone, I hope you enjoy it. This is the mold. Signing out. See you, Daniel. <laughs> Vernon. Vernon always makes me laugh. Always crazy. Um the one thing out of that list, great. He took notes during the conference. Great, Vernon. Good job on all that because I, I did see most of that. But the one thing I have to say is this Bobby Bonilla thing. I would like the Mets to just to pay him off. I'm tired of seeing it every year on Twitter. Oh, it's Bobby Bonilla day, blah, blah. Enough of that. And, of course, when Lindor signed the big deal, oh, yeah, guess what? They're going to be still paying Bobby Bonilla after they're done paying Lindor in his 10, 10-year deal. All right, like enough of that. You know what I mean? Pay him off. Be done with it. It was a terrible contract. Let's stop making fun, you know, poking fun at it. I'm tired of it. <laughs> Sorry. 
I just had to say that. And yeah, I'm sitting here right now. My Mike Piazza authentic black batting practice jersey. Mike Piazza, probably my favorite Met of all time. Favorite Yankee of all time? Got to be Yogi Berra, right? All right, so we're going to take more of your calls after this break. 877-337-6666. I'm getting some tips on my Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, telling me what to do in Cincinnati. Uh, yep, a couple tips here. Great. So you guys keep them coming or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I'll be in Cincinnati seeing a Reds game this week. Um, and by the way, we do have a winner declared in our uh, beatboxing listener's choice poll. I'll have that for you coming up after the break. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here. I got a tweet, a tweet from Tim E. at OSU Jam Man Cometh. He said, uh, if you have two to three hours before the game, and Cincy, the Holy Grail, awesome. Ryan Gass, if you trust, blah, blah. So I got two suggestions here. I'm typing them back right now. It says Holy Grail, noted. The other one's a little far, but I did put it in my notes in my phone, and I really did. So taking your calls, uh, suggestions on what to do in Cincinnati. Um, if you've been to the ballpark, the Great American Ballpark, you let me know what I should what I should be looking for, looking out for, et cetera, et cetera. And as I'm sitting here, the Yankee highlights are playing on the TV in the studio. And what came up? The Gary Sanchez home run. So he's got two home runs in two games. And he had a two-home run, two-run home run with two outs in, in uh, opening day. And then game two, today or Saturday, he said he had a go-ahead solo home run on an off-speed pitch that barely cleared the left field fence, but who cares? It still, it still went over. Boone said he likes how he's being aggressive. I liked after the first home run, the leg kick was a little earlier. His weight was back. He knew it right away, Gary Sanchez, that it was gone. The, uh, did you watch it? The pause... The watch, the deep breath out. It just looked. He just looked real proud of himself. The crowd went nuts. Judge, namely, and the bench went nuts too. I just think that Gary Sanchez is a little bit more confident behind the plate, and it's it's showing. And he said, "I feel very good. I think it's about keeping the consistency going. So if he keeps this up, he's on pace for 162 home runs. You know, let's go to Dobbs Ferry, Sparky. You're on the fan. First of all. Happy Easter, Coach. Happy Easter, Sparky. You too. Okay. Now, when you bring it up about the Nationals, you are 100% right. Thank you. But one thing that you didn't bring up that makes it even worse is, let's face it, pro athletes are definitely going to get preferential medical attention that me or you wouldn't get, so this shouldn't happen. Well, you would think. Okay. You would think. Now, as far as Gary Sanchez... My thing for the critics of him, how about this? Just look at every major league team's catchers. How many catches are actually better than him? Well, it, de- it depends how you're going to define better, though. Better defensively, better at hitting home runs, better at not striking out. I mean, it's it, that's, that's a loaded question. I know, I know. And now also... Today, an interesting one, Matt Harvey pitching against the Red Sox. Yeah. Okay. Now, Matt Harvey, to me, is the poster child of a player who Scott Boris ruined. Because if you remember, during that year when he was pitching really good for the Mets, all of a sudden you heard Scott Boris talking about him shouldn't be pitching this amount of innings, this and that. And he put bad things in his kid's head. Well, the thing also, too, I, I what... More so than that, what sticks out to me with Matt Harvey is the fact that 
They tried moving him to the bullpen. Remember, he didn't want to go to the minor league, so they put him in the bullpen. I think that really ruined him. That's a really different animal to go from being a starting pitcher to being a relief pitcher. I think more so, I think it was that. I think. I don't know. You could be right. I don't know. But you know what? It's just a shame because that kid looked like he had a chance to really do a lot of good things. Yeah. I hope he works out well in Baltimore. And now you're going to your 20th stadium. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've only, I've only been to one road stadium. I've been to Camden Yards nice four one. times. Nice one. Speaking of the Orioles. Okay. And I went to one football stadium on the road. Years ago, I went to the old RFK Stadium for a Bear Redskin playoff game. A friend of mine from high school set us up, and I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But the one thing about Camden Yards, you know how you know you're in a different world is you go up to the concession stand, and the people go, and the concession woman goes, "Have a good day." I'm thinking, you know what? I know I'm not in New York anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the lady and on also, the phone in, in Kentucky was very nice too. I gotta say. <laughs> When you went, I haven't been in a few years, but I remember a restaurant I went to. It's like right past the past the harbor, a place called Moe's Wharf. Moe's Wharf. Okay, in Cincinnati, you're saying? In Baltimore. Oh, in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. I had, okay. Yeah, no. Now, I hadn't been in a few years, and I can tell you one thing. I had the best flounder I ever had in my life. <laughs> well, in a place like Moe's Wharf, you, you, you would think so, right? Right. But you have the greatest of Easter's, and enjoy your trip to Cincinnati. Thanks, Sparky. I'll talk to you next week. You too. Happy okay. Easter. Okay. Same to you. Bye-bye. So, Matt Harvey, that is the second call tonight that I've gotten about Matt Harvey, and it's a Mets fan wishing Matt Harvey well. I mean, he pitched well. He mixed his pitches. Uh, his misses weren't really over the heart of the plate. Worked the edges. Yeah, Matt Harvey. You know what it is? That's the other thing, too. And you guys hate analytics. Some of you guys hate analytics. Matt Harvey got his, his entire repertoire tweaked by analytics and I'd be interested to see if he could really resurrect his career because I truly believe in that you know it helped many pitchers including Garrett Cole so um that's all I want to say on that I guess we'll just have to wait and see but I do believe that there is belief uh there's I have a belief in analytics um to to diagnose things and fix things you know batting Aaron Hicks third uh, just because he has a two thirty three batting average bat while he bats third is not the that's not the kind of analytics that I like. Move him out of the three spot, please. Thank you. And move Giancarlo Stanton out of the four spot, please. And thank you. The both of them have a combined batting average of zero. Let's go to Riverside. Ali or Ali, you're on the fan. Sorry. Good morning, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. Happy How are you? Easter. Happy Easter to you too. So I wanted to speak on the extra innings rule. And, um, you know, it reminds me a lot like the college football overtime rule, you know, where you start on the 30-yard line. Uh, and it's very interesting. You know, I, I can't wait to see the, uh, the, the perfect game where the pitcher loses. You know, you record 30 outs and you give up that run, you know, with a sack, you know, a bunt and a sack fly. Wait, let me just be clear. Uh, You're talking about the the runner on starting on second base in the extra innings? Yes, yeah, okay, yes. okay, so okay. you pitch a perfect game, okay. and then you leave him in on the sack. I mean, it's probably never going to happen, but how interesting would it be to see that happen, right? But why why hasn't baseball uh, ruled, you know, I mean, I know they want to speed the game up. I don't know if you watched the game yesterday, the Yankee game. It was uh, 2.32, and it was still in the fourth inning. It was long. Yeah, yes. I mean, listen, and I, I've been on the tail end 
of many Yankee games where, you know, 13, 14 innings and they lose. Mm -hmm. And then I got to travel back home to mm -hmm. Brooklyn. And I mean, I had to go to work the next day. It, it's, it's not pleasant, but right. I agree. You need to speed the game up. I know the minor leagues, they're doing that 15 second uh, pitch, you know, uh, clock, yep. which, you know, I think should, you know, would, would, they should implement that. Now, why hasn't baseball thought of the idea of doing 11 innings and then a tie? You know, I, I think oh, it would, I hate the it would, tie. No, no. Yeah, but but listen, I mean, look, no. it, it, it would it would um you know be interesting to see how it affects the standings. You know, no. if it, it, it doesn't put a lot of stress on the relievers, I mean, it's not fair to the relief pitchers that you have to go into the 10th inning with a runner on second base. It's not fair to them. Well, I, and it just. Yes, I know. And, and thanks for the call there. I, I know. It's not fair. You know what it is, though? It's just a pandemic thing, though. Don't get too hung up on this. I, I'm not. If this were to be adopted long term, I would not like it. But for right now, you don't want your pitcher pitching, you know, 14 innings and, and you know, your pitching staff being pitched. What happens if one of them gets COVID and they have to sit and they have to bring up a taxi squad player? So it's like it's just it's a COVID valve. Right. And for right now, I'm OK with it. But if this were to be a long term solution, uh, the answer is no for me. Uh, they'd have to figure out a different way. And the answer would be no for me on ties. I, I don't like a tie. It's just anticlimactic. I understand what you're saying. Uh, for me, I, it, it's just not it for me. Uh, quickly, you guys, we have to get through a few of you guys right before the end of the show here. So uh, let's go to Freehold, New Jersey. John, you're up next. Hey, Danielle. Happy Easter to you. You too, John. Danielle, it's gotten quite interesting with this Sam Donald situation. I can't believe initially they were talking about a first-round or a second-round pick. And now we're talking a third or a fourth round pick. Yeah, I no. think Joe Douglas, you know, played his cards here, and uh, I think he waited too long. I think he would have been better striking quickly and get the first or a second round pick, and uh, calling it a day with, with Sam Donald. Well, I, I don't know if that was ever going to be the thing. And John, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate you keeping that short there. Uh, I don't know if that was ever going to be the thing with with Sam Darnold. You know, I don't know if they were ever going to get a one or a two. I, I certainly don't think it was going to be a one. And um, if it's a two, would you be happy with it? If it's a two, I, I'm rolling a dice on him one more year, I'll be honest with you. And I don't know if the Jets are going to go any lower um, than that because, little nugget I saw today or Saturday, if Sam Darnold sticks out this season and then leaves as a free agent in this, the following season, the Jets get a third-round compensatory draft pick in the 2023 draft. So I don't think Joe Douglas is going to settle for a third-round draft pick uh, for him. So again, that's if Sam Darnold sticks out this season, then leaves after this season as a free agent, the Jets get a third-round compensatory draft pick in the 2023 draft. Either it's going to be a second and a, and a hole behind that second pick, a uh, second-round pick, or keep him. I'm keeping him. Pete in Woodbury, you're up next. Pete, are you there? Oh, no. Pete, well, if you get your service back, just give us a call back. That stinks. Uh, let's go to – oh, Jeff in Cincinnati. Jeff. <laughs> Hi. It's uh, actually Jeff from New Rochelle. Oh, I'm sorry. I the topic is Cincinnati. Cincinnati. I, sorry, I read that wrong. That's okay. My I, bad. I've been to the Cincinnati ballpark. Tell me. It's, a really a fun, it's really a fun experience. You, know, you, don't, you don't have as many fans, obviously, as you do in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. uh, but everybody's very, very friendly. They had Mr. Redlegs, who's kind of like Mr. Med walking around. Definitely get a photo with him. Oh, I'm going to try. And, yes, yes. Yeah, and bring your Alka-Seltzer because they have the, uh, they call them the Cincinnati Cone Dogs, which is like <laughs> two hot dogs with 
chili and cheese uh, stacked up to the sky. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. Okay. It's, it's very unique, but, uh, you know, you have to get a picture with that and uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Redleg. Uh, can I quickly go to the Jets? Yes, now? yes. I'm writing this all down and you say it. Go ahead. Give me, what do you got about the Jets? Okay, go ahead, re- tell me. Real quick, real quick. Yeah. If they end up trading the pick mm-hmm. uh, at the last minute and get a haul, wouldn't they be better off staying with Sam this year? Because next year they would have like four number ones and three number twos and be able to move maneuver back down to the a great quarterback in the draft next year. They're not going anywhere next year anyway. That was my thought. Yep, Jeff. I totally in lockstep with you. Totally, totally, totally. Yes, absolutely. The Jets should, in fact, do that. Uh, and, and thanks for the call. I appreciate you keeping that short there. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like I said before, there's quarterbacks in every draft, everybody. And I know the Jets aren't uh, picking number two. Hopefully, again, right? But listen, they like you just said, they the Jeff, the Jets have a draft. They have four first round picks over the next two drafts. So leave the quarterback as is. Build your team. Get a, a cornerback, which is what the Jets need. Get all these an edge rusher. Get a wide receiver over the next two years, and then see what happens. Or trade the pick. You know, the Jets have t- a ton of options, and I would. Honestly, I would hate for them to go out and spend one of those picks on on Zach Wilson because again, it's you're not going to pluck him and put him into the team and make him a playoff team. You're just not. So Jeff, thanks for uh, those two tips. I did also write them into my my notes in my phone. This is going to be so fun. I can't wait to t- tell you guys uh, next week when I come back uh, what I did. James in Monroe, you're on the fan. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. I haven't been able to uh, call you because of my hours. I, I wrote you a couple of times. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted to comment. I was going to talk about my Mets for, uh, because the season starts Monday. Mm-hmm. However, because you're on this Jets subject, I got to input this. Tell me. I, I personally, I'm telling you, I'm sorry, but I disagree with everybody here. I, I You have to take Zach Wilson, and I'll tell you why. The, the class for quarterbacks next year are horrible. And uh, you know what? This is what you got to do now. You got to take him. Even if you have to wait an extra year, it's good even if you keep Donald because you can have him under study for a year. It would be fine if that happened. No, I wouldn't want both. Garrett, not both. No way. I'm telling you, you you just cannot draft this guy. You got to draft him. Donald is not the answer for the Jets. He's really not. Yeah, but how do you know that, though? Well, because in three years that he's been there, you know what the problem with Donald is? Is that his decision-making has always been a problem with me because he just does not see the field. And that's always been the big problem with him with me. You know, I mean, he has great arm, everything else, but his decision-making is so horrible. I know, but, really does, but does that emanate from a coaching staff and a preparation? Can, can, well, right? But- it could, but you, do you want to? Could. Do you want to set your program back again if it's not that? I mean, this is what you have to think about. You could either go ahead, take, you know, this is what the rebuilding is all about, right? You know, you have to. The Jets fans aren't expecting the Jets to go to the playoffs. I don't care how many draft trip, uh, picks <laughs> they have this year, right? Right. They're just not going. But you got to start building. And this is what you do. You just cannot continue to say, "Oh, maybe Donald will be the guy." You can't do it. You have to go. You have to go ahead. I don't know. I just feel like it, the Jets should go by way of the Kansas City th- plan and just what they did was they took Patrick Mahomes and they just literally dangled him and dropped him into the offense and they became what they are, the juggernaut that they are. So why not keep Sam Darnold one more year this upcoming season 
build the team around him and pluck a new quarterback in and let him be successful. Again, Mark Sanchez took the Jets to the playoffs, the AFC Championship game, two back-to-back years. I mean, you don't need a superstar. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. So build the rest of the team. Get an okay sort of quarterback, right? A Mark Sanchez-type quarterback, and they'll take you to... So you don't need the stud quarterback. I mean, it helps to have one, of course. Makes everything else easier. But build the rest of the team. Build out that defense. The Jets' well, defense but, does its best Swiss cheese impression every on, week. Daniel, it depends. See, we're talking about building, building, building. But we're not talking about... how Nobody knows how long it's going to take to build. But you know what? You have to do it with somebody that you know is going to be able to take over the helm, who's going to be like a, a guy that you'll never have to worry about. But, James, is Zach, is Zach Wilson that guy? Yes, I think he is. I've seen him pit, pitch the ball, man. He can throw. Yeah, I, I saw the pro day, arm. too. I could do that, too, with no defense on me. You well, know what I'm saying? Yeah, you got a pretty good arm, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell me your Mets point. What do you got for me on the Mets? Okay, on the, on the Mets. Um, I honestly, you know, I've been watching like a lot of people with who they're predicting and everything else. And a lot of people have shied away from the Mets because they feel that the Mets aren't deep enough in pitching. But I, I don't agree with them there. I, I think that their pitching will be just fine. I just, the only thing I worry about, and I, I don't know why I'm worrying about this, because I'm looking at uh, the, the hitter, uh, McNeil. Yeah. He does not look the same to me this year, and I don't know what it is about him. Oh, he's got longer hair this year. No, I'm just kidding. He, no, I don't stuff. know if it's the hair, but I can <laughs> tell you his stroke is different. And it worries me because he's not really on the ball like he normally always is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at him, and he's the starting second baseman. I'm like, please, do not be a falter this year, especially with the fact that they're depending on you big time at second base. I just don't want to see him go down the drain, but they got a good team, man. The Mets got a good, solid team, and signing Lindor was a no-brainer. Yes, obviously, yes. James. Anyway, I wanted to yeah. wish you a happy Easter. I'm so sorry I haven't been able to talk to you, oh, but okay. I always enjoy talking to you. Well, thanks, James. Likewise. I'll talk to you next week, hopefully. Thank you. Okay, you take care. Bye-bye. Right, bye. Um, yeah, the one thing, that's a great point to bring up about McNeil, and I know we're going to hit the back music in a second, but McNeil, he does look different to me, too, not because of the hair. He does have longer hair, but I just feel like he's not playing within himself. Jeff McNeil. Like what I mean by that is, you know, he's he's a contact dude, right? And and I feel like he's just trying to do too much. You see the frustration. I I was that player. That frustration. I made sure everybody knew that I me- me- messed up, whatever. I learned at a later age that, you know, that's not the best. That that rubs off on your teammates in a bad way. So, for Jeff McNeil, I hope he stays within himself moving forward and Mets fans, Monday you're going to get the chance to see it. So thanks to all the callers. Could not have done this without you guys. I love coming here every week, talking to you guys. If you missed any portion of the show, hit the new Odyssey Rewind feature. Your app should have automatically updated itself from the radio.com one. 440 was beatboxing, by the way. It was a 50-50 tie on the listener. So all locked up from me and from you guys. That was Chris Eisman from NorthJersey.com repping the Knicks. Alex Schiffer from The Athletic repping the Nets. Uh, if, while you're there, just go ahead and rewind to 3 a.m. Listen to the whole show. Great job to Emmanuel tonight, as always. To Kevin Dexter on the updates. Bob Salter's up next. Hit my socials at Coach McCartan and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for coming back from Cincinnati. Sports Radio 101.9 FM.